three. Do I have a roll call? Council Agency Authority Member Stockton? Here. Ritchie? Here. Silva? Here. Chapman? Here. Roberts? Here. Vice Mayor, Vice Chair Wiley? Here. Mayor, Chair Parley? Here. Will you please stand with me if you are able? Please join me in the Pledge of Allegiance. Pledge of Allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the Republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. I missed that. Can I have the uh, approval on the agenda? Motion to approve the agenda. Okay. Motion and second. All in favor? Aye. Aye. Next with that, approval of the minutes. Do we have any changes tonight, Mr. City Manager? Oh, excuse me. I got that backwards. There was no changes to the agenda. I always do that. Motion. Anyway, we have a motion? Yes, sir. And a second? Second. All right, we have a motion and a second. All in favor? Aye. 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 Now we will move on to item five, presentations. It's National Planning Month proclamation. And uh, will uh, Ms. Morris come forward? She is there. We go. Good evening. Thank you, Mayor Carly, members of council. I'm Erin Morris, your community development director. And I just want to thank you all for recognizing Community Planning Month. Uh, this is a time when um, planners from across America um, feel uh, recognized for the work that we do. And a lot of the work that we do is really, frankly, face-to-face, in-person, on the phone with members of our community. Um, we as planners care a great deal about the built environment, as do the people that call us and come and talk to you as well. I also would be remiss if I didn't thank our planning commission that you all have appointed uh, for the hard work they do in um, shaping our community. And that's all I had to say. Thank you. Well, thank you very much. And with that, I'd like to read a proclamation that this is uh, Community Planning Month. Whereas change is constant and affects, you know, I'm going to pause for a second because I'm going to use glasses. How about that? Makes it a little easier. Whereas change is constant and affects all cities, towns, suburbs, counties, boroughs, townships, rural areas, and other places, community planning and plans can help manage this change in a way that provides better choices for how people work and live. And community planning provides an opportunity for all residents to be meaningfully involved in making choices that determine the future of their community. And the full benefits of planning require public officials and citizens who understand, support, and demand excellence in planning and plan implementation. And the month of October is designated as National Community Planning Month throughout the United States of America and its territories. And here in Vacaville, whereas we recognize the many valuable contributions made by the professional planners of the city of Vacaville and extend our heartfelt thanks for the continued commitment to public service by these professionals. Now, therefore, be it resolved that I, John Carley, mayor of the city of Vacaville, on behalf of the city council, do hereby uh, proclaim October 23, Community Planning Month. Thank you. Moving along, it's also another proclamation, and uh, can I have Justin Cole come forward? Justin? Thank you very much. Would you like to share a few words? 
I would. Thank you, Mayor Carly, right. Vice Mayor Wiley, Council members. Uh, the Utilities Department um, has a proclamation for California Water Professionals Appreciation Week. Unlike planning, we're only asking for one week. This is a week, um, it's a perfect opportunity for us to reflect on the vital services that our staff perform to ensure our community has safe, reliable drinking water and wastewater services. I know you're gonna read the proclamation and it talks a lot about the importance of what we do. I thought it might be kind of fun to introduce you to who we are. So we are a staff of about 100 employees um, consisting of several different uh, sections. This the first section is our sewer operations group. They are responsible for operating the Easterly Wastewater Treatment Plant. They treat about 2.5 billion gallons of wastewater annually. Our next group is the uh, Water Operations Group. They're responsible for operating the reservoirs, booster pump stations, well sites, and our water treatment plant in town. And they're responsible for about uh, 5 billion gallons of treated water annually. Our next group is our maintenance group. This consists of mechanical, electrical, uh, instrumentation control, and they're responsible for making sure all those facilities are operational 24 seven, so those operators can operate them. I'd like to highlight the photo on the far right. It's an individual in a full Tyvek suit with the booties, the hats, the hard hat, the muffs. He's going into a wet well. It's about a six foot diameter hole, 20 to 30 feet deep, that uh, has raw sewage, or previously had raw sewage in it, and he's going down there to repair one of our sewage pumps. Our next group is our uh, field utilities section. These are the guys out uh, maintaining the sewer and water lines in our city streets. We have about 350 miles of water lines and about 300 miles of sewer lines that they maintain. Next one. Uh, we have our laboratory group. It's part of our water quality division. They perform about 28,000 um, anal analysis every year for permit compliance and process control. We also have our pretreatment and cross connections. These are the groups that are out in our community working with our businesses, our homeowners and our industries to protect our water system and our wastewater system. Um, our final two groups is admin. Um, these are our unsung heroes pretty much in any uh, organization and they are here as well. They do a great job supporting all the other sections within our department. And finally, we have engineering. Uh, this group does the planning, design, construction of utilities maintenance projects. We also do the uh, CIP planning. We manage our sanitary sewer management plan, um, all in support of our operations divisions. So in closing, I wanted to read it so I got it right. I would like to extend my gratitude and appreciation to all of our dedicated employees who work 24-7 to provide critical services to our community every day. And I'd like to thank the council for their continued support. Well, thank you. And as the uh, director of our utilities, I know that there's so much to be thankful for. Most people don't think about it until it's, a, it's an issue or a need, but uh, we certainly are grateful for what we have here in Vacaville. And with that, uh, I will read the proclamation. Um, Whereas water is a lifeblood of California and without safe and reliable water, no community and no sector of the economy from high tech to manufacturing to agriculture can thrive or expand. And now more than ever amidst the recent drought and pandemic, the city of Vacaville is proud of the important role our essential workers play in making sure our community has safe and reliable drinking water and highly treated wastewater. And California drinking water and treated wastewater meets some of the most stringent water quality standards in the nation. And I would say probably in the world as well. 
and our drinking water comes from nearby lakes, rivers, and wells, and travels through many miles of canals and pipes to reach our treatment facilities where it is filtered, cleaned, tested, and distributed in a process carefully managed by trained water professionals. And water professionals at water and wastewater agencies work 24-7 to plan, maintain, and upgrade their systems to improve the safety and resilience of local water supplies for their communities. Whereas local public water and wastewater agencies invest more than $25 billion a year on local water-related programs and projects that protect public health and the environment, improve local water supply reliability, provide water for fire protection, and protect against floods. And thousands of essential water, wastewater, and recycled water industry professionals in the state dedicated their careers to keeping drinking water, recycled water, and treated wastewater safe and reliable for use by Californians. Now, therefore, be it resolved that I, John Carley, mayor of the city of Vacaville, on behalf of the Vacaville City Council, do hereby proclaim October 7th through the 15th, 2023, Water Professionals Appreciation Week. Thank you. Thank you. All right, moving right along. We're going to go into the consent calendar, item six. Does any member of the public or member of the council wish to, to pull any of the items A through F from tonight's agenda? Seeing none, what I will do is I want to pull item E. All right. Come. Which item? Can you just tell me which item you, you're wishing to pull? Can you let me go to the front? Yeah. Thank you. Just the item number. Let me introduce myself first. For people don't know me. I'm Roberto Valdez. I'm a long time Vacaville resident. Thank you for giving me the time. Council, public, and staff. I do want to address the uh, item to answer your question. So, yes, which item? Okay. Uh, the resolutions, I believe that's what you're referring to. So there's there's uh, items A through F on the consent calendar. So do you Correct. know which one? Hold on a minute. Sure. Give me one second. It's different from what was on the, uh, okay. but at least what I saw on the, in the computer, pardon for the delay. Hmm. Oh, okay. Sorry, I think I missed later on in the agenda. Yeah, I, okay. I have to look in the public hearing. That's fine. Thank you. Absolutely, we'll get we'll get to that later, and you'll you'll have your comment. So items A through F, um, seeing no one from the public or the the council, I would like to pull item E from this for a, a discussion. So other than that, do I have a motion? Motion uh, A through F minus E for, for approval. We have a motion, second. a second. All in favor? Aye. Aye. All right, we'll take up item E. Um, one, of the, one of the issues with item E is the resolution approving a list of qualified partners for fiber optic network and letters of support. Uh, from the mayor and city council to accompany the application for the California uh, Public Utilities Commission last mile federal funding uh, account. 
the reason why I wanted to pull it, and I've had some discussion with staff uh, in the last um, couple weeks for two reasons. One is, is there is an RFP that's associated with this, and that RFP is based on our master plan, and I am aware that this master plan was uh, adopted last year, which includes a discussion about um, approximately a 30-mile uh, fiber ring and the funding would be in phases. And phase one is associated with this grant application that has come to us rather abruptly, but it is, just, it is about addressing twofold. One priority is, is the city of Vacaville's infrastructure, which I agree with. I do believe that that's important. Um, however, this, the second part of this is, is about creating a public-private partnership. And this RFP that we're we would approve here under consent had we not started with this discussion is to accept the the um, those who applied and i believe there may have been one or two that uh, applied to the rfp and that are submitted for this proposal tonight my personal belief is is that uh, this feels a little rushed that, that much as the master plan does have a roadmap. Um, it does suggest that there's about 3,300 unserved residents in the city of Vacaville, and I've had the chance in the last several days to look at some of the prim primary vendors and who disagree with the numbers and believe that there aren't those underserved, and the city of Vacaville is likely within the next 18 months to have broadband speeds that reach everyone, including any that might be considered unserved or underserved at speeds that are far greater than anything that we have today at two gigs up and two gigs down so the goal of the grant is is to receive and uh, receive funding that is available to the unserved solano county is also applying for this grant uh, the city of fairfield is not the city of fairfield has gone in the direction of trying to reach out directly to the unserved and so i believe that, from my view that that's something that we could do and so i'm just not comfortable tonight going down a pathway that is, in my view, potentially disingenuous to what our goals should be, and really wanting the staff to, to consider rethinking what our master plan is, because this is one phase that's $6.9 million, even if we were funded, and yet the whole cost of the public-private partnership ongoing could be significant. And I just believe that the market competition that's out there for what is coming whether it's the current uh, eight or 10 broadband companies that are here. I just don't believe that we need to be in that. I believe we need to be working with these vendors to make sure that if there are apartment complexes or locations, that we find ways to work with our current vendors that have near saturation here. And that's just my position. So with that, I'll, I would open it up and I'm not sure, Mr. City Manager, if you have any comments, because I know that we may not all understand the details. I just have my own personal beliefs of this. Thank you, Mr. Mayor. And um, if need be, um, I can invite staff to, to come up and talk about this, but I'll try to adjust just real quickly the, the concerns. So with regards to the, the process itself, the mayor is correct in, in stating that um, we, were see we are seeking grant funding for um, this particular phase of, of the master plan project. Um, we're trying to serve three different components, if you will, for our community. The unserved, underserved is one. Um, so our residents, um, we're also looking to serve our business community where services are currently not provided and will not be provided by the current providers that serve our residential community, 
as well as public utility services, so city services that benefit from fiber optic installations. So um, the, the, the concern about the, the use of the data for purposes of the grant, jumping right to that, is that um, we confirmed that we relied on this, the state's data that is responsible for producing the grant. And so if there's a dispute about that, we can certainly evaluate that. That's truly utilizing what the state has put out there for us to use. I apologize, my mic keeps cutting out, so. Um, but as far as what we are pursuing this for is to give us an opportunity to explore the potential to get additional funding to help us with this initial phase, which also gets us into the unserved, but as well as into the next phases with our um, business community as well, which we currently don't have any opportunity for given the current uh, providers. So I certainly appreciate the conversation. The mayor and I have spoken about this. Um, in my viewpoint, what this does is it gets us an opportunity to pursue this. We are not asking the council to enter into any particular contract tonight. The simple acknowledgement is, is that we had two responders to the RFP that um, make us eligible to pursue negotiations and discussions with them should we determine that we um, are interested in a public-private partnership um, for that bigger infrastructure master plan that we're talking about that was previously approved by the So this is just really an opportunity to, to explore the next level, not necessarily enter into any specific contracts. Thank you. Councilmember Roberts. Yeah, uh, maybe I missed something back, but what is a tentative like awardee date of this grant? Was there? So I'm gonna have to call on my staff on this. Sorry, Rika, I need you to come <laughs> up and help me out on some of those details. This is Rika Gidry, our program manager in the city manager's office, who's been um, one member of our team that's been working on this project, so. Good evening. City Council. Uh, potentially, the CPUC has about six months to respond to our application. So we had about two and a half months to actually apply for the grant. Um, we entered into a contract with Magellan and Trust in June, uh, started conversations in July. And so unfortunately, um, to echo uh, Mayor Carley, we did have a speedy um, application or uh, RFP process with the private companies. Um, but uh, we are ready to apply this September 29th, which is this week uh, for the last mile grant with CPSE. Okay, so it's about six months before they make a choice if we get a proof for the grant or not? According to their guidelines, yes, six months. Thank you. Questions? Councilmember Ritchie. Not really questions. Um, thank you, first of all, Mayor Crawler, for being fast. I was trying to find the item because I actually had questions too. I also talked to the city manager. Um, you know, it's it, it, the speed of the process was interesting, but for me, I, I just saw the dollar amount and like I'm at a, I'm at a position where every time I see a fee in front of us, I pretend like it's it's my money, and therefore it's not monopoly money to make sure that every time we approve something, we're doing it with a manner in which we realize this is their money and we're utilizing it in an appropriate way. And I just wanted to make sure that first level, second level of um, money going towards any kind of associate or group 
it's going to be money well spent. I just want to make sure like we weren't going to spend a couple hundred thousand dollars more to find out we had analysis of analysis and we need more. At what point are we going to be a practitioner and get it done? So that's really one of my things to make sure like, is this money we're spending in conjunction with trying to get a grant going to actually bring to the table something tangible for the community? And therefore, we're not spending money to find out there's another level of analysis to figure out what we really need to do to spend money. Um, that was the one question I had about this. The other one is when I reviewed the last, there's three people um, like Fox something, and I was, I was really frustrated not to see the big guys. Um, now, I don't know if those companies contract, subcontract to them, but I wish they could have put that on there as, hey, our company's name is John Doe, and we subcontract with these major providers. Um, that made me feel comfortable because I'm going to give small business opportunities. But I personally use Comcast for business. I personally use AT&T. I won't say which one I like more. But I, when I didn't see their name on there, I was like, wait a minute. Um, how come they're not stepping up? Or did they miss opportunity? Were they not fast enough for the window? I don't want, I don't want to rush this to make sure that the big players that might have the capacity and bandwidth to bring from this, the so-called ring to the doors that's going to be a capital capital cost shared by the developer or the existing landlord. And if they're not ready to pay that, how could a small company shovel that cost to say, hey, listen, we're going to cover this until. Um, so I really want to make sure that we we can approve this grant money is free money, but we keep the door open for the other players to come in and say, hey, this is what we can do to help benefit your city. If you run across a scenario that there is a, multi-family or a mixed use, and yeah, they're ni the building's built in 1970, they don't have the infrastructure. We can help out with that. We have the ability without jacking up the cost of the units per suite or per, per apartment to a point where it makes it fe unfeasible for the tenant or the resident to afford the broadband. So I, I just really make sure that we get the free money, but I just don't want to keep throwing good money after another analysis of analysis and have like, I have this big problem with like California and like the rail system. I swear we're spending more money doing analysis of analysis and we're throwing good money for bad money. Let's make sure that as long as I'm here, like we're, tr we're fiscally responsible and making sure our dollars are spent well. So that, that was, I'm at. I'm gonna open up to the public for any comment on this item. anyone from the public so, so thank you okay we do have your hand went up in time so come on up here yeah. yeah this is not business from the floor yeah sorry yeah yeah sorry all right so i've closed on this on this item mr city manager thank you mr mayor the, just for clarification purposes um all very good points and valid points um this is moving fast because of the state's timeline change um, we all recognize uh, on this, the team that's working on this that there are more questions to be asked and answered. And so um, during that six-month time frame that, you know, we'll be waiting to hear if, if council goes forward with the grant uh, application, those, we'll use that time diligently to make sure that we answer, you know, ask all those questions of all the parties involved, including those that um, were a bit surprising not to see in response to the RFP. Um, and to see what kind of opportunities there are out there to address these things. So, um, again, this is just to get us in that other arena 
to, to make sure that we don't miss out on the opportunity because if we if we don't apply, that's you know council's prerogative, but then we know for sure that we're not eligible. Whereas during this time frame while we're waiting, it gives us an opportunity to ask those important questions and follow up. Thank you, Councilmember Roberts. Yeah, city manager. Uh, just because we apply for the grant does not mean we have to accept it if we do get if it does get approved by the state. Correct. That's correct. We have the, okay. if we are awarded it, we have the right to refuse it. Okay, thank you. And uh, just a quick comment. I will tell you that I did ask that question. Why Why wouldn't, and I didn't speak to them all, but one said we're virtually 100% saturated here. Our infrastructure is already here. There's a roadmap. It's a national company. And so they're not going to be spreading into what would be a plan that is desirable, right, to reach this unserved and underserved. But their view of the RFP, the timing of it, at least one of them, and the fact that they already have a roadmap for the next 24 months to achieve the goals is the reason why at least one of them didn't apply to make it. So, so it's a business model. And that I think for me, the, the issue is, is you know, there is, a, there is a level of capitalism in this and um, the process doesn't feel right to me. I understand the need to go for grants. I've been familiar with grants most of my career. The concern sometimes is sometimes we have to either, we have to chase it with our own dollars and does it go down a path? And so regardless of what the council decides, that would be absolutely the recommendation is just to cautiously and carefully go down that path because um, I'm, I'm aware that one of them that was, that made the list is it would be the competitor. And so goal number two that's listed in the RFP and in the broadband is to create competition. And I just didn't know that it's in the city's business to be creating the competition that's already in the free market. So just my, my view of this, and I just think that there's other things to focus on and, and uh, they have different, different business models. It's the structure of the grant. So we can't change the, stru uh, the structure of the grant. It's just my, my position. So with that, um, I would need a motion. Motion approved six E. Second. All in favor? Aye. Aye. Opposed? No. It passes. So my ask is, is that we be very careful when we move forward on that. So thank you. Um, with that, we will move on at this time. This will be business from the floor. And um, this is a time to come before the council on items that are not on the agenda, but that are within the, the subject matter purview of the city council. But before, before we open up the microphone, what I'd like to do is, is there's, a couple, there's a couple things that I would like to make sure that you all here are aware of and our viewers who are still awake because it's early in the night versus trying to do this at the end is a couple of announcements. So Mr. City Manager. Thank you, Mr. Mayor. Um, to your point, so for the past few uh, council meetings, we've had um, several topics um, continue to be raised uh, during the uh, business from the floor session. Uh, staff has finalized uh, when we can bring those items to council. And so the first item that you see here is with regards to a special meeting that we will be conducting related to our flag and proclamation policies. That will be held on November 15th at 6 p.m. at Eulatus Community Center. Uh, for more information, please use the, the QR code there um, so that you can get more information on that particular meeting for those topics. That will be the only topics covered at that particular meeting. 
The next item that uh, will be discussed um, at a specific date that we find, we're able to finalize is the subject of a homeless update um, that will also address the uh, regional JPA that's uh, underway right now in Solano County, as well as the topic of a cold weather shelter, um, cold weather center. So that uh, those two topics will be brought to the council at the next October 10th meeting. So we've, we've heard. Um, we are prepared and we'll have presentations on those uh, respective topics on those particular dates. So that mayor, thank you. Thank you. That's better to get that announcement out now. So I appreciate that. So good evening. Yes, come on, come on up. Thank you. Good evening. Me amo Linda Maribel Martinez. I could not wait until October or November because I'm a passionate Latina and I need to speak my mind when I feel like it. You can't put it on hold for two months. I've come to speak for several reasons. My husband cut the cable a long time ago and I haven't been able to watch local news consistently. I was either too busy being a full-time wife and mother to two happy, healthy, grown adult children or working at Ford Motor Company and three different airlines. People find inspiration in various forms. Unfortunately, in my past, I've had to learn the hard way. I'm so happy that that young gentleman spoke up at the last city council meeting. I don't believe he stated his name, but I understood him when he said he was lonely and depressed. I'm glad he found Police Activities League. I also empathize with the LGBTQIA community. Absolutely no one should be shot over a flag. Speaking of our flag, that 50 state one over there does not represent every American. Where's Puerto Rico on that flag? Where's the District of Columbia, otherwise known as Washington, DC? What about the US Virgin Islands and or territories? Hmm, American Samoa, Guam, the North, Northern Mariana Islands. I did a quick Wikipedia search today to find out that a self-governing commonwealth that's what the Mariana Islands are, in association with the United States of America. I would rather much our nation wake up from their deep slumber. In God we trust, who's God anyway? Is it the Christian pagan one? Is it Allah, Jehovah, Jehovah's Witnesses? I could go on and on. This nation was supposed to be free of religious persecution, yet we still recite one nation under God. Who's God? And let's not forget, it's on the U.S. Mint. It's on all our currency. I believe there's supposed to be a separation between church and state. Therein lies the problem. There are state laws. There are federal laws. I don't love my neighbors. On June 15th, 2023, I took one for the team and asked them, what if I love thy neighbor? I don't love her. I only like Romy and his wife, also Jocelyn, my neighbor, the Martinez sisters, also neighbors. I was not read my Miranda rights when I, arrest, when I was arrested and taken to county jail. I was really quite tired of trigger-happy police officers shooting innocent people. And thoughts and prayers are usually too late. That's why I'm a former Catholic. I had to help prove my hypothesis. I believe in science. In my theoretical world, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and Rodney King have the same exact message. Why can't we all just get along? Oh. That's my time. Thank you. Thank you. Good evening. Hello, Council Mayor and Vice Mayor. Um, I'm speaking tonight on behalf of the Keep Vacaville Safe Group. 
Our group is made up of representatives from various neighborhoods throughout the city of Vacaville. I'm also speaking tonight on behalf of the 2,692 residents who signed an online petition and the 525 residents who signed a written petition to oppose the Menard Energy Storage System. I realize representatives from Menard Energy have given several separate presentations to the city. However, I would like to present some additional facts and information that would be helpful in determining whether this project should go forward. Over the course of the next few meetings, I'd like to present some data that we found. Um, as you know, safety is number one concern about this project and the probability of residents being evacuated or put under shelter in place orders due to chemicals emitted when these facilities catch fire. So you might be wondering how many, um, how often does this actually happen? I'd like to share a database for all the best fires created by the Electric Power Research Institute. Um, the database contains valuable information, including the location of the facility, the size, <clears throat> the battery type, the age of the, uh, age of the system, and whether or not it was working at the time of the incident, um, because they have caught fire during the installation phase. Um, overall, there is 65 reported incidents in the database, which includes the latest best fire from last week in San Diego. I will send each of you a link uh, to the information so you can take a look. And I wanna point out a few things that we have learned from the database. Um, now we've all heard about the Moss Landing facility that caught fire almost exactly a year ago today. It was only five months old when one of their 256 battery containers went up in flames and an eight mile stretch of Highway 1 was closed. Nevertheless, um, reps from Menard Energy at the September 7th meeting stated numerous times in their presentation that the technology has changed and that the Moss Landing facility was outdated. Um, referencing the database, we can see that there are six fires um, that have already occurred in the United States in 2023. Uh, five of those six fires occurred at facilities that are less than two years old. If you look further at these six fires, three of these fires were less than four months old, including one that caught fire after one month of operation. Um, additionally, four of these six facilities contained lithium iron phosphate batteries, um, or LFP batteries, and this battery type is the latest technology that Menard is proposing in the system that they're wanting to do in Vacaville. <clears throat> so I hope you find this information useful. I will send each of you a copy and you can look it over with a fine tooth comb if you'd like, and I'll be back with more facts next time. Thank you. Thank you. Good evening. Good evening, Mayor, Vice Mayor, Council members, staff. I've lived in North Village since 2013. I'm a first-time home buyer, and as all first-time home buyers, when I moved in, I had projects. However, my first project in my new home was to fix my front yard. Why? I wanted a front yard that was going to be eco-friendly and save water. So I wanted drought-tolerant, resistant plants and some drainage to help with the water table, as well as to beautify my neighborhood. I thought of my neighbors, this is a beautiful community, how can I add to that community? To be a part of a community is to think about how you affect your neighbors. With that, if you drive through the older part of North Village where I live, you will see houses that have recently been painted. Painting a house adds no structural value, but is done to show pride in your community. 
The city owns the property of the proposed battery storage facility. This makes you our neighbor. What you do with this property can negatively impact our, prop our property values, raise our homeowner's insurance due to, which I just spent $200 on my re reinstating my fire insurance right now. So prices are already going up. <clears throat> you could pose a safety risk. As our neighbor, why would you allow a safety hazard into our neighborhood? If our homeowner insurance continues to rise, we won't have the financial means to paint or maintain our properties. The battery storage facility will not only pose a safety and health risk, but also degrade a well-maintained neighborhood that residents currently take pride in. So I urge you to please consider being a good neighbor and not putting us at risk with this battery storage facility. Thank you for your time. Thank you. Uh, council members, um, thank you. Thank you for at least starting that conversation that we've been asking for for nine months now. I have two issues I'd like to uh, have the council address. One is there seems to be some misunderstanding as how the, someone from the public can get something agendized. Does that require one member of this council, a majority, formal motion, second? So I'd like to have an answer for that, if I may, before I leave the podium tonight. The second issue is um, Councilmember Chapman uh, on the 22nd of last month during Councilmember comments uh, asked the city manager, uh, where, where are we at? Uh, I'm paraphrasing, obviously. Where are we at on the uh, cooling and uh, warming center? And um, uh, Councilmember Roberts and the city manager both said, well, wait, we're waiting on the strategic plan. We're also waiting on uh, the county of Solano. So I contacted the county of Solano, and their answer to me is, I don't know what they're talking about. And so I was able to get a con uh, copy of the Extreme Weather Annex. And this document is pretty precise as to what happens when there are two consecutive days of 31 degrees or below, or three days that are 105 or above. And the, the thing that surprised me the most, it's dated January of 2023 the same time that a group of us came forward asking that we start the discussion on the homeless and cool, the homeless warm and cooling. And I shouldn't call it homeless because there are community members out there, some of your constituents that don't have uh, heating or cooling, uh, elderly uh, youth. So this is not a homeless issue. This is a community issue. So, um, I'm a little, little surprised that this document has been in existence for the last nine months when we're being told that we're waiting on uh, the county and the JPA. Mind you, I think a reasonable approach to homelessness is the way to go. You know, when I was on the board, we talked about this regional approach because one city cannot make a difference, but seven cities can. And so uh, we're hoping that this discussion that we're gonna have in October will be the start of that. And we're ready, willing, and as I said before, able to assist you in this, this manner. So thank you and uh, constructive criticism. Thank, thank you. you. I appreciate that. Good. My name is Gail Thompson. I'm here as an advocate for the homeless. 
and a warming and cooling center. I was a little surprised at the last meeting I attended when um, Sarah Councilman Chapman asked how many visited these warming and cooling centers, and she was told a total of five. First of all, the libraries are not warming and cooling center. Our homeless are not welcome there. They're county buildings. They're designed for families and children. Our homeless smell, plain and simple. Some of them haven't showered in six and seven months, and the little kid reading his first book doesn't want to sit next to him. I understand the Three Oaks Community Center was open, and that's a great location. The problem with that is many of us who are involved with the homeless did not know that center was open. So I would like at the next meeting the council to meet and bring up a way of better communicating where the center is going to be opened and what the hour is going to be. I've notified several of the churches that deal with the homeless on a regular basis. Epiphany that delivers and provides meals two days a week, myself that deliver meals and have a Thursday night program and several other churches. None of them were notified. If there could be a mass email so that we could put up a sign when we're delivering these meals and producing these meals that the, the center is open and available, I think you'd see a better count on who would be accepting that help. And Councilman Wiley, if you'd look down the dais to Mr. Stockton and Mr. Stockton, you do the same. I want to tell you that so far this year alone, we have had seven, seven of our homeless die on the street. And if this city is okay by eliminating our homeless, by allowing them to die on the street, then shame on this city. This city is so generous and compassionate. There are enough organizations that want to be part of the solution. The government, this city council, cannot solve homelessness. You can't do it. But the whole puzzle coming together with the host of volunteers and the different commitments from the different agencies with our city in the lead can solve it. Our numbers are low enough that we don't have to become Fairfield or San Francisco or Oakland. And mind you, those that are dying on the streets are predominantly men. They are fathers, sons, brothers, uncles. Not one of them growing up wanted to be a homeless junkie on the street. Not a one of them. Drug and alcohol is curable. They're not disposable. So I thank you. Thank you. Ms. Rosie, I live here because Vacaville is a safe and health, healthy place to live, and it also provides me with a good quality of life. I'm here to speak about the Menard Energy Battery Facility. Fires have occurred at every one of these facilities, Moss Landing, New York, Illinois, Arizona, Europe, Australia, Korea, and most recently San Diego, and continue to be an ongoing threat to the residents. Um, let's see, approving this plan would put all of your residents, 103,000 plus, at a high risk of physical, financial, and emotional distress, and for some death. There's no way to stop the unpredictable combustion, the leach leaching process, the corrosion process, and fires from occurring. 
Um, let's see. These storage plants need to be placed in isolated locations hundreds of miles away from any and all populated cities. The damage to our water sources due to leaching is irreversible. The health risk will affect not only your current residents, but future generations, as, along with our pets, livestock, and wildlife. At the September meeting, we were told that the people at that meeting in January thought that having a sports center is a good idea. This translates to the people at that meeting thought that having all of its residents being exposed to toxic chemicals for a period of 20 years is a good idea. I truly hope that was not their intent. If this plan is approved, it's only a matter of time before we can no longer use our faucet water for drinking and cooking our meals. Groundwater cleanups can take up to 30 years to complete. Read the story about Hinkley, California. Families will be torn apart. Our financial resources will be used to pay for medical care. Some of us will not only lose our lives, but also lose our homes. And all along, Menard will continue to turn profits for the next 20 years while your res residents' lives are falling apart. Let's see, where, else, where am I? Um, allowing Menard to come in, as they stated at the meeting, they will be purchasing batteries at the best deal. But this will allow, give them the green light to bring in any and all toxins into our city. They also said that there are no risks and that we should trust the science. Science tells us that long-term exposure to toxic chemicals such as lithium iron phosphate and nickel magnesium cobalt cause cancer, organ damage to our heart, lungs, and kidneys, weakening of the immune system, asthma, birth defects, and the list goes on. Please think of your brothers and your sisters, your parents, your sons, and your daughters, your grandbabies who are already here with you and those to come. You are our guardians. We are depending on each and every one of you to protect us from any and all forms of harm. You did right by us in 2020 by voting no. We need you to do right by us now more than ever. This is exactly how beautiful cities become toxic cities. Why not do a solar farm? There will be no batteries, no fires, no toxic chemicals. Vacaville can sell the power to PG&E and create a stream of revenue. Our lives matter. We do not want to be the next Camp Lejeune the next town of Hinckley, or Menard's test dummies. Please don't allow them to take away our basic human right to have health and safety in our lives. Thank you for listening. Thank you. Hi, Mayor Carley, uh, Vacaville City Council and the city staff. My name is Frank Nelstone, and today I'd like to bring to your attention that since 2021, there have been many residents, business owners, and community leaders in and outside of Vacaville that have voiced their opinions and given us support towards the idea of Vacaville having its own cannabis program. When asked for their opinion on this topic, Haley Andrew, the CEO of Dixon Wellness Collective, said it was a step in the right direction. Not only said, quote, it was a step in the right direction. Not only will the tax revenue bring monetary benefits to Vacaville and its citizens, but cannabis companies will also be an asset to your community by providing jobs. Also, cannabis businesses love to volunteer within the community, which is true, end quote. Another leader, Kimberly Cargill, the CEO of a therapeutic alternative in Sacramento, also stated support for Vacaville's cannabis program. She stated, quote, cannabis businesses would make a positive impact to Vacaville's economy. Citizens of Vacaville deserve to have lab tested and regulated cannabis products available in their own hometown. The, the majority of customers we serve as are seniors and they need the one-on-one in-depth consultation that only a storefront cannabis dispensary with educated consultants can provide. 
I've personally met with at least two other local business owners whose opinion on this topic aligns with the others. This is the general consensus that we get when we ask people on their thoughts, about their thoughts on Vacaville's Canvas program. Business owners want to want it for reasons like increase in customer traffic, boost in business economy. Residents of all ages of all backgrounds need it for recreational and medicinal uses. And the city of Vacaville needs it to help fund more exciting and impactful projects that the city has on its roadmap. I'd like to also remind the city council and staff that there is already a Vacaville cannabis code and regulations plan currently created, submitted, and received by the Department of Economic Development here in Vacaville. These plans have been reviewed by our city staff as well as our third-party cannabis consultant agency at the end of 2021. But some city plans like this one, uh, it's been sitting on the shelf for some time now and waiting for the right group of people to take action, and we feel that the time to take action is now. The next step to take, like I'm a mic taken off already. Uh, the next step to take is actually quite simple. Members of the city council, we need you to convene with the city staff and the city manager to put this on, to put this topic on agenda um, for any of the upcoming agendas, so we as a city can at least start having discussions on it and better prepare for its eventual rollout and deployment. Thank you. Good evening, Mayor Carley. Good evening. Vice Mayor Wiley, council members, city staff. Leo Scarsiga, Leisure Town. Thank you, Mayor Carley and Council Member Stockton for responding to my email. I really appreciate that. Um, it, the email was regarding the recent battery storage fire which occurred last Tuesday in San Diego County. For those of you watching at home, you can view the news report on YouTube under Fire Inside Battery Solar Storage Valley Center, Fox 5 San Diego. To review, fire and sheriff departments were dispatched, roads were closed, and an evacuation order for the surrounding quarter mile was issued. While a shelter in place for, half, for the half a mile around the site was also ordered. These directives were kept in place for four hours. Could such an, an incident occur in the city of Vacaville at the proposed Menard Energy LLC lithium ion battery storage facility? It certainly could. So a quarter mile evacuation order would impact approximately 100 North Village homes and approximately 40 properties in the unincorporated portion of Vacaville. How would that unfold? Would there be panic situation with families fleeing to safety at a moment's notice? So as to the half a mile shelter in place order, residents would be directed to close their windows and turn off their ventilation equipment. That would impact hundreds of homes in the North Village neighborhood, Quinn Crossing Apartments, Villas at North Village, North Ponte Apartments, also hundreds of homes in the county section. Solana College Vacaville campus would be affected. I-80 would be impacted. California Highway Patrol Caltrans would have to close west and eastbound lanes full stop. People on the way to jobs, tractor trailers delivering food, food, excuse me, 
construction materials, essential military items to Travis Air Force Base would likely be diverted to city streets. Businesses within the shelter-in-place zone would be impacted. The economic impact to the city of Vacaville and the region would be likely be enormous. To close, I'll use an analogy. There's a game of poker taking place. At the table is the mayor, city council, and Menard Energy LLC. PGE, PG&E is, deal, is dealing. The pot is $20 million. So city council, will you push all the chips to the center of the table, in essence, the safety and quality of life that means so much to your constituents? Are you willing to put at risk future housing and business growth in the city of Vacaville? With that, I bid you all a good night, everyone. Good evening, Mayor Carley, Vice Mayor Wiley, council members and staff. I'm still Donna Harris. Um, I have another thought for you regarding the flag flying. Have any of you driven home after a hard day's work at night, or at night driving home and there's a bicycle in the driveway? You have a choice. You know, it's, it's frustrating, it's irritating, time consuming. You need to deal, it with some, deal with it in some way. You can yell at the kid to move it. You can move it yourself. You can park on the street. Or you can teach the kid a lesson and drive over it. Um, you see it, and therefore you need to deal with it. You need to take action. If that bike was parked behind the garage, however, you wouldn't even see it. You wouldn't, it would enter your mind, no frustrations, no action needed. It simply would not exist. I'm asking you to think of the LGBTQIA community as that bicycle and the Asian, African-American, Latinx, Jewish, indigenous people communities also, and other persecuted communities. If we are visible in your way, you need to deal with it some way. You see us. You need to take hopefully informed action. If we quietly park behind the garage, we are out of your sight and thus out of your mind. We do not exist. You can go on with your uncomplicated lives quietly. No action needed. The same injustices, discriminations, and abuses can continue, and you need know nothing about them. Like somebody vandalizing your kid's bike while you're on vacation. You don't see the bike. You don't see the damage. It doesn't exist until you come home to a crisis situation. It's like reading some sensational often biased and negative news item about one of our communities. This is what some people want. Us out of sight, out of mind, out of your sight, and out the sight of others who might take action. If they only saw and knew. If we were only somewhere in their minds. If we were only visible. I'm asking you folks to help us be visible so intelligent people can see us and take informed actions. Learn about us honestly, accept us, support us, join us if that's where they need to be, or simply walk their lives and let us walk our own with equal freedom and justice. That is what the American flag promises. 
please let our other flags help those promises be realized for everyone. Thank you, and please stay safe. Thank you. Good evening. Good evening, Mayor Carly, uh, council members and um, staff. My name is Dave Hammerschmidt. I'm one of the board members for 11 Kids. And tonight I'm here to just say thank you. Um, really thank you for the continued support of 11 Kids. In particular, I wanna thank you for the community, the support on the community development block grant that you helped push through so we could help serve our community through serving 11 Kids and the three 11 Kids centers that we have here in Vacaville. Uh, for those of you that are unfamiliar with 11 kids models, we go ahead and we put our centers in the locations that have the greatest need. We try to meet these families and these kids where they are at. So it's not a center that they have to go to or drive to or requires transportation to. It is a center that meets these kids and their family where they live. So thank you again for your continued support for 11 kids uh, and, the, and allowing us to better serve the community. Thank you. Thank you. Good evening. Good evening, Mayor Carly and council members. My name is Eugene Cordy. I was here uh, at the last council meeting because I can't get the, uh, the uh, local police to take a report on a crime that's been going on for a while. And he uh, said he was gonna have somebody call me the next day. Uh, Captain Poland, uh, I never got the call. I called uh, the number I was given for him and left a message. It was not returned. I called the, the chief's number and that was not returned either. Now I still have this problem that's been going on and I need to know, uh, and I need uh, local jurisdiction um, investigation in order to get it expedited up because it's it's way my capabilities to handle it's uh it's causing this invasion of privacy criminal harassment could i could i direct you to speak to either our chief or staff or a captain who's in the rear of the room right now turn around you can see there's Captain Kellis right there who is willing to oh. help you right now. All right. Well, if. Right oh, my name is Eugene Cordy. Eugene Cordy. Yeah. Eugene. Thank you. Thank you. I don't get any response. I'll be back in two weeks. Yeah, thank thank you. you. He's right there. Seeing no one else, I'm gonna close business from the floor and bring it back to the council. Uh, Mr. City Manager, it looks like we have some public hearings. Thank you, Mr. Mayor, Vice Mayor, members of the City Council. The first public hearing I'm before you tonight is several actions related to the Van and Meadows specific plan and development agreement project. I have Aaron Morris and Albert Eno from our community development department with a brief presentation for you. Good evening. Good evening, Mayor and members of the City Council. The item before you tonight is the Villages at Vannon Development Agreement Amendment. Specifically, staff received a request to amend the Villages at Vannon DA, 
for the purposes of extending the term of the agreement for three years uh, from tw November 22nd, 2023 to 2026. This map shows the location of where we're talking about. It's in the southeast corner of the city in the Vannon Meadows specific plan. The Vannon Meadows specific plan is comprised of uh, four different uh, development areas, Parkside, Vannon Estates, Foxborough Knolls, and Villages at Vannon. The topic tonight is specifically re related to one of the villages within the Villages at Vannon, it's specifically Village G. <clears throat> a little bit of information about the Vannon Meadows specific plan, it's a master plan development community. It was originally improved in 2013 with 939 units, both single family and multifamily. However, that was changed in to 780 units with the removal of an apartment site in 2014. Vanna Meadows is comprised of 260 acres. There are four neighborhoods with four separate development agreements. There's Van and Estates with 209 units. That's completed. Uh, all units are built out in that development. Villages at Vannon uh, is currently under construction by Meritage Homes. Parkside with 50 units um, has also been completed and Foxborough Knowles is under construction by uh, Pulte Homes. The original specific plan was approved with a 6.15 acre neighborhood park and a remainder school site uh, piece of property. That's owned by Travis Unified School District. So tonight we're talking about the villages at Vannon development. That's part of the specific plan that's outlined in blue. And we're specifically talking about Village G. So the villages at Vannon development has three different villages. Village G, which is comprised of 97 units. This was originally approved to depict courtyard style homes, all single family detached homes for market sale. Uh, currently that piece of property is vacant and there's no final map that's recorded for that site. Village H, which is 210 units, single family detached homes, currently under construction by Meritage Homes. There's a final map recorded over that area. Uh, there's 180 units left remaining. Village I is 157 units, again, single family detached home, 120 units remaining as Meritage is uh, building out their development. Um, currently, the development agreement for the villages at Vannon is set to expire November 22nd of this year. Uh, the only portion that is still in effect for this development agreement is Village G, as the others have vested their rights through the work gradation of a final map for those specific areas. So what does Village G look like? Well, it's designated in the general plan as residential medium density. The density allows 8.1 to 14 units per acre. So they could develop under the general plan with 88 units at a minimum, 152 units at a maximum. As I mentioned earlier, there's 97 units that were originally vested with the approval back in 2013. The zoning is residential medium density also consistent with our general plan. Minimum lot size is required to be 40,000 square feet. Um, Single-family residential development is conditionally permitted. Multifamily is permitted. Um, currently, again, right now, what's vested under the development agreement is single-family detached homes. It's a courtyard design, missing middle design. Originally approved by City Council in 2013, the development agreement uh, identified a number of city benefits that were required of the developer. The first was annexation into a community facility district. Right now, the site, as well as the adjoining developments, are annexed into CFD number 11, so that one's taken care of. There's also a requirement for the developer to pay a park development impact fee and a special water annexation fee with every single single-family home. Uh, there's also an obligation for the developer to construct street frontage improvements and setback landscaping with, as part of the public right-of-way. 
There is a new provision that's being added to this development agreement um, by the developer, and that is uh, item to disallow any build for rent type of product, that they are committed to only doing a for sell detached market rate single family uh, product on this site. And so that's something that the developers come to the table with. There are some effects if the city council decides not to take an action on this uh, development agreement amendment. Uh, first, the developer wouldn't be required to pay that special water annexation fee. Um, uh, the expiration of the development agreement means that there's no certainty of the type of land development because the tentative map would also expire along with that development agreement. Uh, and what that looks like is there could be a different type of development. So there's that range of 88 units to 152 different development units. So you could go anywhere from single family detached to multifamily apartments out on the site. Uh, another item that would expire is the developer's obligation to construct the frontage improvements uh, along with their development. Uh, and then also um, the certainty that's provided with the development agreement with the tentative maps is this courtyard home design. It's a missing middle type of design that we don't have a lot of in Vacaville. And so with the expiration of the development agreement, that would also disappear too. And then it would be a fresh, clean start that the developer would have to present something new. Could be the same, could be something higher density. Uh, during the development review process for this one, we sent out a number of public notices, starting off with a notice of application that we received, soliciting comments from the public. Uh, we also submitted, um, sent out public notice uh, notices that were mailed for the Planning Commission meeting. Uh, comments were received on August 14th, and there was a supplemental memo that was provided to the Planning Commission responding to those comments. That's also included in your staff report. Uh, they were identified, the comments that we received uh, went through uh, a number of different concerns. One was related to the uh, CBC fee that was done away with with the adoption of the AB 1600 study and the fee program last year. There were also some concerns about the permit and school fee comparison, compliance with the Vanamento specific plan, previous actions with a development agreement, and also some funding mechanisms for public improvements. At the Planning Commission, we discussed those responses, uh, which we had on August 15th. The public comments we received during that meeting uh, ranged from questions about how city staff processes development agreements um, through that process. There were also questions about the removal of the CBC fee. That's a community benefit contribution fee that was originally required in the specific plan. But with the adoption of the AB 1600 study, City Council authorized staff to move forward with removing the CBC fees from all of the development agreements throughout the city. There were also concerns from the public about overflow parking uh, in adjoining neighborhoods. At the end of the night, uh, Planning Commission decided to vote 5-2 to recommend to the City Council that uh, you approve the development agreement amendment. Uh, for tonight's item, we did receive a late correspondence from um, a resident in the Southtown area that was concerned with parking. Some of the same questions and concerns that were expressed at the Planning Commission meeting. Uh, and I believe that resident is also here to talk about those concerns. So with that, there's a conclusion associated with our review that we did for this amendment. <coughs> Staff supports it, Planning Commission supports it. There's a number of reasons why. It meets the required code findings for approving the amendment. It complies with our division within our municipal code for how to process a development agreement amendment. There's no changes to obligations or the improvements with the exception of the applicant wanting to add that provision that says uh, no bill for rent products will be done. Um, there's no changes to the project type. They're still proposing to do a courtyard home uh, style design. Uh, and then the, also the extension would benefit the city for the number of reasons I've mentioned earlier. So with that, staff has a recommendation for 
City Council tonight by simple motion adopting the subject res resolution and also introducing the ordinance for the amendment. That concludes my presentation. I'm happy to answer any questions. I believe we also have the applicant here to answer any questions. Great, thank you. Thank you for the presentation. Uh, for starters, um, go ahead and open it up to the public to see if there's any comment. I'm not seeing any lights here. Yeah, please come forward. Uh, my name is Kevin Pewitt, and I submitted uh, some documentation today to, to explain my issue about the parking uh, issues that I I believe that are going to happen. Did I say my name? Okay. Um, as of as of right now, I do not believe that there is. It's my understanding that there is no housing development in Vacaville that has the that has put in the parking that meets the minimum standards for Vacaville. And so we have no experience in Vacaville for that, for that occurring. Um, there are two similar projects that Albert informed me of, and that's the Portofino development and the North Village development. Um, both of those um, areas provided a lot more parking than what this one will be allowed to uh, provide. In um, the Portofino, they provided um, three and a half, three to three and a third parking spaces per, per home. And in um, the North Village, they provided five and a half spaces per home. The minimum standard in Vacaville is two and a third. The utilization in both of those neighborhoods, I drove through those neighborhoods and saw what the utilization was of parking spaces. And they were using over three in both of those neighborhoods, over three. So if you approve this going forward without them increasing the amount of parking spaces that the minimum standard for Vacaville applies, then you will have approximately or more 97 parking spaces short. And so those 97 spaces, where are they gonna come from? From the surrounding neighborhoods. And those surrounding neighborhoods, those homes are being developed right now. Those neighbors don't, those people that are gonna be the most impacted, my street will be impacted because it's right next to this community. But those people will be impacted and they aren't here to speak because they haven't bought the homes yet. And there's no one um, st telling them when they go to buy those homes that they're gonna have these problems. So that's wrong. So I'm asking for you to do two things, one, if you vote for this to go forward, to have them follow the standards of the Portofino and the North Village and provide at least three and a half parking spaces per home. And also change your standards. Your standards are, are way out of date and need to be changed. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, Mayor, Vice yes. Mayor, members of the council. My name is Christian Seabree and I'm here on behalf of the applicant, NorCalCo and we have before you a request for a three-year extension 
Uh, we would greatly appreciate your support tonight because of my understanding is if action is not taken due to the ordinance becoming effective, this may be the last opportunity to extend. And as you heard in the uh, presentation, if the DA does expire, then the project may change and potentially up to double its density, which I, from experience know that creates some anxiety in the surrounding community. Uh, so we're looking for uh, your support tonight. And as mentioned, we from hearing community concerns about recent bill for rent developments, we're agreeable to not having that go forward on this project. Uh, and to be clear, uh, tonight is uh, the extension of the DA itself. A master builder would come forward for actual design review to deal with architecture, the parking plan, et cetera. And there's not a, the, the final map is not down yet. The, it it uh, has been drafted, it's in process. There is a builder uh, in contract on the property. We don't expect to use the full time, but we do want a little extra cushion just in case market conditions change as they are known to do. Thank you very much. And I'm happy to answer any questions if you have them. Yeah, thank you. There may be some questions, but I'll call you if there are. Yes, come forward. I'll be up to you. Well, why don't you step forward? Uh, okay, tell me when to start. You can go ahead. Okay. Um, Roberto Valdez, longtime brother. I'm here sincerely, truthfully, and respectfully to all of you, everybody. Um, I wasn't planning on saying anything, but I'm looking at this project very interesting because I, I have commented in the past and pretty much, you know, I've been against it for the same reasons that all the little projects that you've got are lined up on Leisure Town and Van Den Road. Nobody's talking here about the impact you're going to have on that reliever road. We need to have a good reliever road for an emergency. You're building homes near the near the. A water waste plant, your building uh, homes near the uh, the railroad station, and it's a matter of time when something might happen. And I appreciate what the uh, the gentleman said about his parking, but to me, that's something more things that you should think about. And this and and I hope I can uh, convince you of that. You know, is that uh, the impact is having on Leisure Town? Yes. If you ask me, would I like to see another development project and I respect the developer there? No, I'd rather see a park. We need more parks in the city. And that's a good example of that. You look around the whole area, it's changed 360 degrees. I don't even recognize it anymore. You've had impact on the wildlife, you had impact on the, uh, uh, um, you know, uh, uh, on the congestion, everything. You know, all of you who are here, many of you are new, I don't know if you can go back 20 years, but that project's not new. And you know, and I respect uh, all the thinking that goes into it, but I think you should uh, uh, not cancel the purpose of that reliever road. Right now, we, you're building homes and you're not thinking about that road. And I understood you were thinking about four, five, six lanes. You might need 10 if we have an emergency to get the people out of here, out of Safeway. You know, I don't think I have to elaborate more than that. But I think you should seriously think about the impact. And it's the impact that you're having with all this development and backable that is of concern. And I respect and appreciate all the residents, including your staff and, uh, you, know, and you, uh, what you have to say. But frankly, I'd rather see a park. It's had enough uh, impact, it's continuing. Is there no space for parks here? Amen. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Bring it back to the council and 
asked if maybe staff can address a couple of those issues. Parking. Yes. Um, our municipal code requires two parking spaces. They can be enclosed, they can be in a driveway for each single family home, and then one space gas parking for every three single family units. So at this particular site, there was a conceptual plan that was originally approved with the project that doesn't vest the rights as the applicant mentioned. If any further proposal at this location were to come forward, it's their obligation to show and demonstrate to city staff that they're gonna comply with parking. They're gonna provide two parking spaces. They can be enclosed, they can be within a driveway. Our experience with these types of courtyard home designs is they're gonna be enclosed parking spaces. There's also a shared driveway that would provide access to all the uh, garages for the cluster development that would also yield additional space for potential parking within that area. But uh, in our experience, developers have been able to satisfy the parking requirement for each single family home with those enclosed spaces and guest parking via street, which is permitted by the code. Uh, with regards to the reliever route question, uh, there currently is a route that provides relief within the surrounding area. Uh, right now it's uh, Vannon Road and then also Leisure Town Road and Vannon Road currently connects to Foxborough Parkway. There is a planned extension that for Foxborough Parkway to connect to the roundabout that would go over to Nut Tree Road. I, I don't know the current status. I haven't driven over there recently, but I know that it's, um, all the pavement is there and it's prime for opening, I'm not sure when. That's part of the, what's planned though, is, is that connection that's... Correct, yes. When this original specific plan was approved, there was an analysis done that certain roads need to be improved in order to be able to provide access for not only these residents, but the current ones that are under construction by Meritage Homes. Those roads are currently in existence now. People can get access to these areas because they have been uh, improved by uh, the master developers that are currently building out there right now. Okay. Um, and of course, Jefferson Parkway is everything feeds into the larger uh, discussion of transportation. I get that. So, uh, any questions from the council? Comments? Councilman, Councilwoman Chap. For the presentation, um, I have a question in regards to there was a slide in the event that we chose not to accept. Um, can you go back to that slide? Why does it come across as a threat? I, I don't, the intention is not to be a threat. The intention is to be very clear. And part of that comes from staff's sensitivity to residents being concerned about the expiration of development agreements and staff not really articulating what would happen if that were to happen. So this slide is spare in language, but it's really intended to be crystal clear about the consequences of not extending the agreement. And the need, clarification on the need for the additional three-year extension. It really, the request comes from the developer. Um, as they were explained, they are maybe in contract with someone who wants to build the homes, but they have not yet designed the final design, gone through design review, and they're not in a position to record the final map uh, before the current development agreement expires just in uh, a couple months. So the extension gives them the time to uh, solidify that deal, come into our department with house plans, go through that um, discretionary review process, ultimately um, move forward with finalizing the project. Okay. The other permits that have been taken out, taken out by other developers in the area, um, where would they stand 
I mean, is there a perceived um, procedure? Perceived, is there a perceived procedure according to the way permits are taken out as to which developer will be coming in so that you would know what additional impacts may occur as you proceed? Is that, does that make sense to you? I think I understand the question, and I would answer by saying that when the specific plan was adopted, the impacts of all the development in the Vanda Meadows area were looked at holistically. And it was understood that um, not all the units would be built at the same time, and part of what Senior Planner Enalt was describing, there were some transportation improvements that were so important for the function of the Vanda Meadows uh, specific plan that they had to go ahead of a lot of the housing development to be in place before the housing proceeded. I hope that touches on your question, but if you have further questions, I'm happy to answer them. Got it. Okay, cool. Councilmember Ritchie. Thank you so much for the presentation. Um, <clears throat> I felt like as my time on council, um, we have had the pleasure of reviewing and going over and debating a lot of development agreements. Um, what I saw in this one, with the exceptions with the development agreement, um, putting that language in there in the clause, they would not build for rent. Um, I was happy. We've had, we've had a lot of examples of how it's been, we felt like development agreements have been not in our favor. Maybe the city got engaged something they didn't, they wish they didn't, but this one was good. Um, I dug into this, this kind of the DA, the process of Southtown, how long it's been going. I look at the impact of the roads, the community, the missing middle. Um, this is something we need. You know, I think we kind of lose sight. We kind of tunnel vision to focus just this lot of land and forget about the houses around it. But like I've been saying for a lot, whoever listens, um, this part of town bookends the biotech and Travis. You know, we are a sister city, Fairfield and Backfield to Travis. It's very important as they just brought the KC46 team that we maintain the responsibility to be a better community to Travis. 78% of the people do not live on base. We have people that live in work in Travis, protect us, keep us safe. They drive to Winters, Dixon, Woodland. West Sacramento is a huge place. They need housing for rent, for ownership that's in close proximity to Travis Air Force Base. The same channels that we're talking about, Jefferson Parkway and Bandon, give them great access to the base without having to spend an hour and a half of serving our community, serving our country onside that base driving all the way to West Sac so you can find a place that's affordable. We need this in our community. It's not homes that are only state homes. They're the missing middle. It's what we need to make sure we can house airmen and women, uh, a lot of working professionals. It does a lot, you know. The language with the DA, when I saw that, to me, it wasn't a threat. It's just really trying to be illuminating to remember, guys. When this was started, I was in high school. Like, think how long we've been trying to put houses to house Vacaville residents to keep them in our community. When they live in Vacaville, they pay property taxes. They shop on the way home. They spend money downtown. The two main ways we maintain income in our city is by people living in our city, shopping, eating, buying stuff, kids playing soccer. When they go to live in Dixon, Davis, Woodland, we lose that. We need to really focus on what really matters, housing our residents in our city that can help us keep our city and level of service high. 
So this is a missing middle piece that's really important. Um, the development agreement expiring, I know it might sound scary, but with the laws that have gone to effect in California, we really need to focus on it, not pretend we don't know. 98 till now, it's been a lot different. They can press a nuclear button. They can build wherever they want. If we screw up and let it expire, they can do multifamily, any type on that property, because the California housing laws allows for it now. So the fact that they are not gonna build for rent, they're gonna build missing middle, and stay true is a huge bonus to me. They have the right and ability to do what the heck they want. So let's, I just, I'm very supportive of this, and thanks for your time. Vice Mayor Wiley. Uh, thank you for the information. And because I'm not well-versed in all the real estate, I just want to make sure that my understanding of a courtyard home is correct. My understanding would be like near the fire station down in Southtown. So everyone, it is a single family home. You own your home and the, you have a front yard, but in the back is sort of a shared driveway where people come in. Is that, is that the correct understanding of a courtyard home? Correct, yes. And is this whole section, section, G going to be courtyard homes, or is there just going to be a, a few pockets of courtyard homes like near the fire station? It'd be the whole section G. And how many units was that? 97. So 97, like six kind of in a courtyard, or is it six or eight, or how, how many are usually in a courtyard? It looks like if you look on the map, it's really hard to see, but it looks like there's groupings of maybe eight or nine in the clusters. Okay, and then, so this is in the final map. That will come back to us if this is approved. Correct, yes. Okay, not, just, not under a land use entitlement, but under a separate process. I just wanted to make sure that I was thinking that courtyard home. Um, so that was my question. And then just in the other slides that you showed when you said this one had this many, this one had that many, and you had this many had units remaining. So that they have not even been built yet. It's not like they're standing for sale. They're just not yet built if they're units remaining. Is that correct? Correct. Units remaining that they've received approval for the construction of house plans by Meritage Homes. In Village G, there's just been no house plans, no final map recorded at all. Right. And then, then my final question, in some of the other rental units that we're looking at or considering across Vacaville. It wasn't what was approved, but someone sold it and then someone new was doing that. So if this developer or owner wanted to sell, would this DA go with it or would it be all washed away if someone says, I have a great price, I want to buy this from you? It would go with the land. The DA would stay with the land? Correct, yes. Okay, all right, thank you. Those are my questions. Thank you for those clarifying uh, comments. I think that's the importance uh, of a DA. And given our past history and the state laws that are in effect, um, at least the control that we can hold on to, I would hope that the uh, prove that the, the builder and the process would not require an, another extension. I think a three years is reasonable trying to work with a developer. I too am concerned with um, while it's it's right if you can develop to develop the way you want within the guidelines, but the risks of these build for rent can completely reshape our neighborhoods uh, in a way that seems okay because a for-profit in a rental environment, the goal is is home ownership in that missing middle. And so for that, I wanna thank staff. I appreciate the gentleman 
it does require require probably a discussion in the future because you know in the in the world of VMT we're putting we're packing people into um, smaller quarters and everyone drives and there just isn't a place for cars and so I would encourage the developer to get creative in being able to do that because it's an impact. So with that, um, Councilmember Silva. Uh, just uh, two questions. Um, number one, uh, can you you mentioned that in our you said uh, in our experience the parking ratio is um, the current parking ratio suggested uh, will satis has been satisfied in other examples. Can you recite some examples for that? And then number two. Uh, what's our code as far as proximity of residential areas to a park, um, and does this satisfy that? For the cluster lots type of development, uh, our code speaks to how many parking spaces are required for single-family detached homes, whether they're large lots, um, smaller lots, or courtyard type of designs. The obligation of the developer is to demonstrate that they can provide two spaces per piece of property. And what we have found is that they're usually provided by garages because people want garages for a different variety of uses. The other location that we commonly see is that they're provided within a driveway, a paved driveway. And sorry, I forgot the second question. Or this, this, essentially, is this residential is, sorry, update? Uh, is this residential update still within our code to be in proximity to parks? This development will be able to utilize the closest proximity park would be Magnolia Park to serve its residents, which is currently existing right now. Right, and is that within our code? Is that distance within our code? I, I believe it's um, neighborhood parks or community parks are, are approximately a half mile or quarter mile to a half mile distance within location, and this would be within that location. Um, they, there was a, as part of the original specific plan, uh, a brand new neighborhood park based off of the number of units that this development was going to be providing, uh, adding to the city that there was an obligation for the developer to dedicate land for a neighborhood park and then the city would uh, design that park and construct it. That that park is not within this development but rather it's located as part of the Vannon Estates development. There's a, a portion that's just below the blue area uh, south of Opal Way that portion is uh, to be given to the city and the city will be developing a park on that location. Um, so that, when we talk about the master plan, was there a park that was designed for this overall specific plan? That's the location where it is, but also Magnolia Park was designed to serve Southtown, but also the surrounding development. Councilmember Stockton. Quick one. Um, so would anything prevent a buyer, a home buyer that buys one of these from convert, converting the garage into an accessory? That version of it. That would be allowed under state law. Would there be any sort of parking requirement that would prevent that from occurring if those are the two parking spots that are being utilized to meet the criteria for this? If there's, there's an obligation to provide parking for each single family home. So if they converted the garage, they'd have to demonstrate where the other two spaces would be provided, as well as the one additional space that's required for an accessory dwelling unit. Junior accessory dwelling units, which are much smaller, are not obligated to provide parking spaces. So the city could prevent that from occurring if they can't? It's, it's less uh, um, uh, an analysis about preventing and more about 
if a homeowner is wanting to take advantage of what state law allows them to do, the homeowner needing to demonstrate that they can provide parking elsewhere on their property for their residents. And if they can manage to do that, then we'd be able to process that. But if there's an issue, then um, then we would have a non-compliant item. All right. Yeah. So do I have a motion? Motion to approve 8A. Second. So that's uh, by title only. So we have a motion and a second. All in favor? Aye. 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 Opposed? None. So thank you for the presentation. I appreciate the, the, the comments, the feedbacks. I, I do think that it becomes a challenge when we have parking. Mayor, I'll read the title before we move yeah, on. Thank you. Ordinance of the City Council of the City of Vacaville adopting the First Amendment to the Development Agreement by and between the City of Vacaville and NorCal Company to extend the term of the Development Agreement by three years regarding the development of real property commonly referred to as the Villages at Vanden Meadows located east of Vanden Road and west of Leisure Town Road, APNs 0137-050-290 and 0137-050-300. Thank you for that. With that, we will move on to um, item B. Mr. City Manager. Mayor, Vice Mayor, members of the council. Um, this next item is multiple um, actions for the council to consider for community facilities districts in the Lower Lagoon Valley. Ken Matsumiya is here to give you a presentation. Thank you. Good evening, Mr. Mayor, Vice Mayor, members of the council. I think, Mr. Mayor, there's a script related to the actions tonight. Yes, there are. Okay. I'll, I'll do what I, my best. Uh, thank you for the highlights. With that, um, these are the public hearings and the council's proceedings for the annexation of territory to the city's community facilities district number 13, Lower Lagoon Valley, improvement area number one, and community facilities district number 13, Lower Lagoon Valley, improvement area number two. The hearings are to inquire into the annexation of territory and the levy of special taxes in the annexation territory for the purpose of financing public facilities and municipal services. Does anyone wish to file a written protest? And if so, they must be filed with the city clerk now. Being none, the hearings are now officially opened. We will first have presentations by staff about the proposed annexations into each improvement area. And after that, we will receive comments and questions and any oral protests from any interested persons when all comments have been received. That's when the hearings will be closed. So with that, we'll go ahead with the presentation. Great, thank you. So tonight is the second step in a three-step process to annex uh, the annexation process to agree the Lagoon Valley CFD boundaries to the recently approved Lagoon Valley final map that was um, adopted and approved by council on August 8th. So this presentation is going to be very similar to the one that was given on August 8th. And so starting off with some background, uh, CFD 13, Lower Lagoon Valley, was established by council in 2021 over a series of four meetings as the CFD formation process requires a number of legislative actions, including a public hearing and landowner election. <clears throat> CFDs are a financing tool allowed in state law that funds the installation of public improvements and or ongoing services within an identified area. And a special tax is levied on taxable property within the district's boundaries and the revenue received is used to fund the CFD's authorized public facilities and services. 
<clears throat> Given the size of the Lagoon Valley project and phase development, the CFD was formed with two improvement areas, improvement area number one and improvement area number two. And the use of improvement areas is common and larger projects that we built out over a number of years um, is a way of grouping the parcels of land in a CFD according to the development phasing plan. When a CFD is formed, <clears throat> a boundary map is recorded which defines the region to be included in the district and when improvement areas are used like with the Lagoon Valley CFD, the boundary map will also identify which land parcels belong in each improvement area. Each parcel of land can only be in a single improvement area. So the purpose of tonight's annexation item is to conform the boundaries of the CFD improvement areas to the neighborhood K and business village large lot final map that was approved at the August 8th council meeting. With the approval of that final map, there are parcels of land that are in both improvement areas number one and improvement area number two, and they can only be in one. And so there is no simple administrative fix for this in CFD law. And so in order to remedy the situation, both the city and landowners must go through an annexation process and de-annexation de-annexation de process, uh, very similar to the process we go through with the normal CFD annexation. The first step in this process to annex some property currently in improvement area number one into improvement area number two and vice versa took place at the August 8th council meeting. <clears throat> and so tonight's actions are the second step in the three-step process. These actions include conducting a public hearing regarding the annexation of territory into CFD 13 improvement areas one and two. And then following the public hearing, there will be a special election of the subject landowners to vote for or against the proposed annexations and levy of special taxes on the annexation territory. In anticipation of tonight's special election, the landowners have completed and submitted the ballots to the city clerk to be open this evening. And if the results of the election are in favor of the proposed annexations and the levy of the special taxes, the council will be asked to adopt resolutions finalizing the annexation of the affected parcels into the appropriate improvement areas and removal of the parcels from their current improvement areas. The first reading of the ordinance levying the CFD tax and the affected parcels will also occur this evening. So the title for this agenda item and the actions that are taking place this evening can be intimidating, but I think really just to break it down to a lot more simpler process as to what we're doing and why this is uh, being done. Uh, so the CFD boundary map, which is the map on the left, is what was adopted when we formed the CFD in 2021. And so the um, sections that are highlighted or, or shaded in green are improvement area number one. And then the sections that are in, in purple, that is improvement area number two. And so when the Lagoon Valley final map was uh, approved in August 8th, um, you'll notice that in this section in the business village area, that larger parcel is now a lot, it's, it's now smaller parcels. And as mentioned, those parcels can only be in a single improvement area. They have to be in either one or two. And so if we were to keep the map the same, it, it would be in conflict. And so what we're doing tonight is uh, taking these actions to uh, amend the map and uh, adopt this new map to agree to the final map. And unfortunately, there isn't a, a quick administrative way to do that. We have to take the actions that we're taking tonight in order to accomplish that. So the following slide summarizes the three-step annexation process. Uh, the first action of adopting the resolutions of intention and setting a date for the public hearing occurred on August 8th and was amended on September 12th to set this evening's public hearing date. This evening is the second step in the process, which I covered a couple of slides ago. And then the final and last step of the annexation process, adoption of the ordinance would occur at the next council meeting on October 10th.
The recommendation is to conduct the public hearing for the annexations of property, adopt the subject resolutions, and introduce the ordinances levying special tax within CFD 13, Lower Lagoon Valley, improvement area number one and two. And with that, we'll be happy to take questions. Thank you. Um, I do not see any questions. All right. Vice Mayor Wiley. So this is a multi-step thing, I think. So this is just step one. So in that one map that you showed on slide eight, the green area that's currently in the CFD is uh, reduced by quite a bit when it's moved to the other. So is part of it not going to be in any CFD or is that gonna be in the other CFD? So it's all a single CFD. Um, what's changing here is, let me see if I can pull up the highlighter. So, but it looks like there's a lot that was green before is now gonna be blue. Correct. So it's just moving between improvement areas. So it is a single CFD, but this section right here, that was all in improvement area number one. You'll notice that now in the new map, that's now an improvement area two. It's still a single CFD. It's just, it's going from improvement area number one to improvement area number two. Oh, I, I thought you said the purple area a while ago, which I thought was a purple area on the right, but the purple area on the right is nothing. Yeah, I should uh, clarify my colors. So it's the green and the blue. Okay, this. all right, because I wasn't sure what was the blue then. So the blue is two and the green is one? Yeah, so green, this color right here that I'm pointing to, uh, that's improvement area number one. And then this color that um, I mistakenly called purple that I think is really blue is uh, improvement area number two. Okay, that answers my question, thank you. This time I'm going to open this up for the public for comments and questions. Yours truly and sincerely and respectfully to all of you here tonight. Um, I don't think I'm being out of line, but I'm asking questions what's going on. And I heard and I appreciate your comments, clarification of what's going on. I didn't get that response or I didn't hear that response or that discussion on the September 12th. And I think the public should have been given a better, clear understanding what's being discussed tonight at the previous meeting. So in that respect, I would ask, give the public a chance to respond besides me, okay? I think I'm still part of the public. <laughs> anyway, uh, one of my, and this is because, uh, again, what I, and I said I gave you last time, time to respond to my question. And my question was basically, and I'm, I'll say it again, and I'm gonna say it again and again until you hear me. That is what's going on with the uh, Lower Lagoon Valley Development Project. That's the project we're talking about. That's the project that's been been discussing for at least what I've been about 25 years, you know, with other people, a lot more people, and they do share my interest. And um, what I've observed, and I'm facing this uh, my 20 plus years, not only with this developer but with others, what I've observed that you're doing with this developer or the developer's doing, you uh, remove the the trees, the oak trees. There's some there. There were some there, and you. Uh, Add it, you replace it with 12 metal poles. I don't know what the purpose of that is. Anyway, what, but can I speak? And, and then, I'm sorry, and, and, uh, and the, other, the other thing you've done that I've observed is the filling of the riparian uh, creek along Lagoon Valley Road. That whole creek was there, it's gone. You to accommodate the, the project and of course the road, okay? Uh, Lagoon Valley Road, you widen it, okay? 
even though, again, I said I appreciate you opening it up to the public to be able to get into the park and do other things, you know, around that area before you stop, you know, stop the access there. Um, um, and I think that's going to happen. Um, you know, um, and I'm bringing this up to you because they're speaking in regards to the California red-legged frog, excuse me, California uh, tiger salamander. I don't know if you recall, or you're just old enough to be here, uh, and I do. Uh, the Friends of Lagoon Valley hired the WRA, uh, the Wetland Resource Agency Associates Committee. They're the, the current uh, um, the, um, um, environmental consultants for this project. And they identified strongly that that whole area, the whole Lagoon Valley area, including the lake, was potential grounds for the red, California Red Lake. As you know, uh, salamander, excuse me, California, and that's an endangered uh, species, state, federal, okay? So I don't know why you're doing this, but anyway. Um, so that's my concern. The other concern, I, what I'm seeing is that you've got bulldozers, tractors so, parked there. And, okay. Well, my question, sir, is basically, it. Um, you know, what's going on? Give me an answer, share it with the public, put your cards on the table, Let's have a good discussion. Let the public speak. Let them give them time. Thank you again for your uh, notes, whatever. But again, I'm starting to say, again, you're doing all this to accommodate that project. I know that. And you didn't discuss that last time. So let's have it. Thank you, respectfully. Thank you. Anyone else want to share in this public hearing? Done. I'm going to bring it back to the council. And uh, this public hearing is officially closed. Are there any other questions from any, any member? We'll now consider and adopt two resolutions calling. Quick clarification. Question. Yes. Um, Absolutely. So just for clarification. So switching the CFDs, does that diminish our, the ability for this project to meet financial goals to reimburse anything or putting liability to the city or anything to that effect? No, what we're doing here is uh, agreeing to the boundary map so that we can tax appropriately. And so that we're not changing anything with tax rates or anything of that nature. So we'll now consider and adopt two resolutions calling for a property owner votes on the issues of the proposed annexations to each improvement area and the levy of special taxes in the annexation territory in each improvement area. At this point, we're going to consider and adopt the following resolutions. Resolution, is this something that you're gonna share or I can go ahead and read this? Resolution of the City Council of the City of Vacaville submitting annexation territory and levy special taxes to qualified electors. Is that correct? Okay. And also the resolution of the City Council of the City of Vacaville submitting annexation of territory and levy of special taxes to qualified electors. This is for CFD uh, District Number 13, Lower Lagoon Valley, Improvement Area Number 2, and Annexation Number 1. So the first one was air Improvement Area Number 1, Annexation Number 1, and this is Improvement Area Number 2 to Annexation Number 1. So, do I have a, uh, a motion? Uh, motion to approve. Second? I have a motion and a second. All in favor? Aye. Aye. Opposed? That passes. We'll move on. 
In anticipation of the election, the ballots have been completed by the property owners in the annexation territory and submitted to the city clerk. At this time, I ask the city clerk to open the ballots and announce the results of the election. matter of the uh, CFD and area number two, annexation number one, uh, ballot number, measure number one, property owner votes affirmative, and ballot measure number two, property owner votes affirmative. Matter of CFD number 13, improvement area number one, annexation number one, the property owner votes in favor of ballot measure number one and in favor of ballot measure number two. In anticipation of the election, the ballots have been completed by the property owners in the annexation territory and submitted to the city clerk. At this time, I asked the city clerk, eh, I've already done that, sorry. Got, I got behind myself here. Uh, the results of the election being unanimously in favor of the proposed annexation and the levy of the special taxes, we will now proceed with the final actions for each improvement area of the district. At this time, we will consider the adoption of those resolutions. So I can go ahead and you have a question? You want me to read them? No. Okay. These resolutions, again, are the resolution of the City Council of the City of Ackville declaring the results of the special annexation election, determining uh, validity of prior proceedings and directing recording of amended and restated notice of special tax lien. And this is for the CFD number 13, improvement area number one, and annexation number one, and the resolution of the city of Vacaville, uh, Vacaville declaring the results of the special annexation election, determining validity of prior proceedings and directing recording of amended and restated notice of special tax lien for CFD district number 13, improvement area number two, annexation number one. So just that's just to be clear, I think we've covered everything. Is there any other uh, point of order on this other than do I have a motion? Motion? So we have motion and a second. All in favor? Aye. Aye. Opposed? Motion passes. At this point, um, is there anything else that we need to do to conclude this business? We have to do the final, the ordinance, so the first reading of the ordinance. Okay. And then the back page has the resolution of the, um, the cessation. So those have to be read and approved as well. So the final reading of the ordinance at this would be an ordinance of the city uh, council of the city of Vacaville levying special tax within improvement area number one of the city of Vacaville Community Facilities District number 13, Lower Lagoon Valley, including certain annexation territory, an ordinance of the city of council of the city of Vacaville levying special tax within improvement area number two of the city of Vacaville Communities Facilities District number 13, including certain annexation territory. So do I have a motion? Motion and a second, all in favor? Aye. Aye. Opposed? The motion passes. And so with that, there is an additional on the back page. This is lengthy, but we're getting through this. 
A resolution of the City Council of the City of Vacaville determining that the special tax shall cease to be levied and approving and authorizing related documents and actions to CFD number 13, improvement area number one, and resolution of the City of Vacaville, of the City of Vacaville uh, determining that special tax shall cease to be levied and approving and authorizing related documents and actions for CFD 13, improvement area number two. There we go. Thank you. Wow. We need a motion to approve. I know, that's what's next. I'm just pausing for a second. Do, do I have a motion? Motion and a second. All in favor? Aye. Aye. Opposed? Seeing none, the motion passes. Thank you. Yes. With that, can we take five minutes and we'll be in recess. That is a community development block grant annual uh, performance and evaluation report. Tamara Colum from our Housing and Community Services Department is here for the presentation. Good evening. Vice Mayor and council members. Um, tonight I'm here to present on the Community Development Block Grant Program Year 2022 through 2023 Consolidated Annual Performance and Evaluation Report uh, that I will refer to as the CAPER moving forward. Um, tonight uh, we are asking for you to accept comment from the public, to provide comment, if any, to incorporate into the report before it's finalized and then approve that report and submit to HUD. So for a little bit of background, the Community Development Block Grant Entitlement Program or CDBG program provides federally funded grants to cities and counties with the goal of developing viable urban communities and providing decent housing and expanding economic opportunities. Uh, since 1988, the city of Vacaville has been an entitlement community receiving CDBG funds from the U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development or HUD. Uh, the CDBG funds allocated to us locally are used to address priority needs that are identified in the City Council's five-year consolidated plan. Um, and the goals, uh, these goals include supporting youth public services, improving public facilities and infrastructure, and addressing the challenges posed by the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, as an entitlement community for HUD's CDBG program, Vacaville is required to submit an annual CAPER that covers the progress toward meeting those goals and strategies that are listed in the COM plan or in the consolidated plan. This year's accomplishments include uh, youth development leadership and early childhood education uh, through support for, uh, for Vacaville Neighborhood Boys and Girls Club, Loving Kids, and uh, Child Start Head Start. Loving Kids and Child Start are located at the Mariposa Center. It also included um, funding the Sidewalk Repair Grant Pilot Program. Uh, it included so sidewalk improvements in CDBG target areas that include the installation of ADA uh, ramps. Uh, the, the accomplishments also include programs and supports for affordable housing through a variety of housing-related programs housed at the Buck and Eldridge Social Service uh, Center. It also included improvement or expansion to affordable housing through rental subsidies, 
housing counseling services and leveraging land and city funds for new development. And it also included uh, programs to address the COVID-19 pandemic. So as a reminder that it was funding to Opportunity House that was fully funded in July of 2022. Um, funding for emergency grants, that funding was given to the Family Resource Center. They uh, began activities in March of this year and funding will continue to be used towards those emergency grants until the funds are fully expended. It also includes um, a food security program, uh, $75,000 there. In June, we completed the second um, request for proposal for eligible uh, social service agencies who would like to administer that program. Food is free, Solano was chosen, and we are now working with them to finalize locations where they will be providing uh, uh, food for low and moderate income households or low and moderate income areas. And those activities will begin this year and continue until the funds are spent. And then there's also funding for mental health and substance abuse outreach for our homeless persons. That funding is going to be administered through the police department and a uh, a service provider has been identified and services are anticipated to begin in January. Um, activities or uh, accomplishments for this year include uh, consultant work on the Brown Street Multipurpose Facility Park and Community Center that is going to be developed on Brown Street next to the Solano County uh, building. And then also work at the Mariposa Neighborhood Center that includes the small dog park, a new play field, and building improvements for the tenants that are located there. I need to make a small correction. The comment period for the CAPER is actually 15 days, not 30 days. Um, so the uh, notice, the public notice was published in the Vacaville Reporter in Spanish and English on September 10th um, to cover that 15-day comment period. Um, other efforts to get uh, the notice out to the public include posting it on the website. Um, the uh, public relations uh, team did get that out through email on the Facebook page, and then we targeted community sites. Um, so we targeted grocery stores and places frequented by uh, members of the public who are primarily Spanish speaking to make sure that we, we got the Spanish notice, not just in the paper, but also out into the community. The draft caper was made available uh, for that 15-day comment period. You have an executive summary, which is attachment one, and then the full caper document, which is attachment to your, to your packet. It does include uh, tracked changes for some modifications that were made after the initial version was posted on September 10th. So those will be included in the final draft along with any comments received tonight. So what we are asking tonight is for our council to accept any public comment on the plan and also provide comment. All comments will be incorporated into the final draft and submitted to HUD no later than September 29th as required. And with that, I'm happy to answer any questions or accept any comments from the public or council.
Thank you. Well, I'll start with the uh, the public comment portion of this and just open it up if anyone wishes to add any comments to this report. Then I'll bring it back to the council for council comments. Council Member Chapman. Thank you. Thank you for the report. Um, now, this is uh, covering 2022 and 2023 funds, correct? Uh, yes, so this is the program year that starts in July of 1st of 2022 and ended in June 30th of 2023. And with that, the projects that you had noted, they had some work or they are completed? So they've had some work towards the project, however, they will carry over into this current program year. So as an example, um, there was $85,000 for the Mariposa Center that was allocated through that previous program year that was fully spent. And then this year in um, May, council uh, allocated an additional amount from this 2023 through 2024 program year to complete the project. What was done at Mariposa? So at Mariposa Center, there are we are adding a play field for the public. So there will be... What has been done? Oh, I'm sorry. Um, so right now they are working with uh, project manager and architect to design, to handle the design of the project, the design of the building improvements. And then in, De in December, we are slated to go to um, bid. So take the project out to bid for, to find a contractor to complete the improvements and the enhancements at the facility. And it's slated to be completed sometime in summer of 2024. Okay, and then the fifth bullet of dealt with the homeless. affordable housing assistance to homeless and housing counseling. All of that was performed how or where or when and to whom? So that bullet is related to um, programs and supports for affordable housing through a variety of housing and homeless-related programs that happen at Buck and Eldridge. So the Housing Authority act, um, is administered out of Buck and Eldridge. So the Vacaville Housing Authority is located there. There is also Vaca Fish, which um, has space located at Buck and Eldridge. They provide food assistance um, to low-income. Uh, low and moderate income persons. Uh, and then um, the Vacaville Housing Authority also serves through uh, voucher assistance, emergency housing voucher program, and mainstream uh, special purpose vouchers uh, provides assistance to low income uh, applicants, and that can include homeless persons. Okay, so the affordable housing portion, um, now I'll, I'll list for subsidized housing was closed for quite some time and it is open now. How did we, and if these fundings were available for 2022, 23, I'm just curious <laughs> as to exactly, and, and I know we're gonna get a report, so I probably should just wait until that housing report come in, but since she's reporting, I just, and you know, it came to mind. I'm, uh, you know, 
So, so there are no direct CDBG funding that went to those activities. So at the Buck and Eldridge Center, which is a CDBG property, those activities take place out of that property, but no CDBG funding goes to support those activities. Okay. Okay. So I was looking at everything you had up there as far as those fundings being contributing to implementing or having the work done. Yeah, so in the work. in the caper, we do report on activities that the city completes towards the overall goals listed in the consolidated plan. That doesn't always mean those activities are supported directly with CDBG funds, but they are activities that lead to outcomes that are listed or um, in the consolidated plan. Okay, so this is for reporting out for accountability. Purpose. Correct. Okay. Thank you. Any other comments from the council? You have a motion. This is just to accept the com the public comment, any of our comments, and approve. So, do you need a motion to approve it, or it doesn't say so? But I would assume that we have to approve it. Yes. We'll yes. go with we'll go with a motion then. On a motion to approve. <laughs> yes. It's the approving the report, taking the public comment and any comments we have here. So we have a motion and a second. All in favor? Aye. 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 Opposed? Thank you very much Thank for you. that. And you barely uh, met the, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, go ahead. Just a, uh, the 29th deadline, so you have to get this report submitted to um, the state by the 29th? Yes, it's submitted to the Department of Housing and Urban Development. So this is a federal program, so it's submitted um, to a federal agency. And there's a database which we upload this, oh. and then it's and submitted. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, makes a difference. It does. Thank you. All right, next item, 9B. Thank you, Mr. Mayor, Vice Mayor, members of the council. This next item before you is an update and an action related to flood control measures within the city. This is a topic that we presented to the council at your um, goal setting session in uh, May of this year. Brian McLean, your public works director, is here for a follow-up. Thank you. Good evening, Mr. Mayor, Vice Mayor and City Council. As the city manager said, I'm gonna provide you a, an overview of what the department has been doing over the last several months um, as it relates to flood mitigation. Um, first, I'm gonna go through some background. Uh, this past winter season, the 2022-23 winter season, as you know, was a, a record. Um, in January, from January 1st to the 8th, um, the city received a uh, approximately four inches of rain, sporadic but consistent, um, saturating the soils. And then on January 9th, we saw two and a half inches within a 24-hour period, uh, which resulted in um, flood levels reaching a critical stage. So much so, as I mentioned uh, at our strategic meeting, that we had to adjust our creek monitors um, to compensate for that added spike. The result of that uh, sporadic um, flooding, which occurred on January 9th um, and pushed us into a, a flood event, uh, resulted in the flooding of uh, Beelard and Tulare areas along with uh, Wood Glen and uh, Duxbury. These are the traditional areas um, historically where we've seen uh, this kind of flooding occur. And this is, these are other areas of town as well, um, but typically on the south side of town uh, in the uh, uh, Peabody Alamo area. 
addition to the uh, January 9th event, um, shortly thereafter on January 14th, um, we had a, an additional flooding event. Um, this one was uh, new to me. It actually occurred during broad daylight, um, approximately 10 o'clock in the morning. Um, I happened to be standing on the corner of Beelard and Tulare, uh, or Beelard and Gregory, rather, and Tulare and Gregory, correct, sorry. Uh, and watched, uh, watched the creek waters flow uh, back, um, so reverse flow from the creek um, up through the drainage uh, inlet and out into the street. Um, I could tell that it was coming from the creek because it had the, uh, the typical uh, brown silt uh, of Alamo Creek. Um, made a mental note um, of that particular uh, location to come back um, and look at our maps and talk to our hydrologist about uh, what we had witnessed there. And I'm gonna come back to the uh, um, flap gates, um, which we'll talk about a little bit later, um, because this was, uh, this was one of those aha moments um, and we'll talk about what we've done uh, in the city in the last uh, few months to prepare for winter. The other big thing that uh, the city did is we, I, I came in and uh, brought the department together and we basically you know, wiped the table clean. Uh, fresh eyes on everything. We're starting uh, anew. We're going to come at this from a, a new angle. Um, we're going to bring a, a new uh, renewed energy to this particular issue. Um, and with that, we hired a, a, a new hydrologist and off and going. Um, and we started in March, uh, brought that hydrologist on and immediately started to, to see some results. Uh, the first thing we did was in April, um, we went out and we did a field survey and we looked at uh, several of uh, the city's existing flood control facilities as well as proposed areas. Those are Lagunitas Detention Basin, Alamo Creek Detention Basin number two, and the proposed site of the Alamo Creek Detention Basin off of Vaca Valley Road. These are the sites and as you can see in the upper north portion, that's the uh, potential large facility, that's the Alamo Creek Detention Basin. And then moving moving down through the city, you can see uh, the Lagunitas uh, Detention Basin as well as a potential new detention basin, um, just adjoining it. And then further down Alamo Creek, um, you'll see the Alamo Creek Detention Basin number two. And that one is about a, a mile upstream um, from the beeler Tulare area. Let's talk about Lagunitas Detention Basin. Um, this is the site, it's the bean-shaped um, object you see in the, the round circle there. This is what it looks like in the summertime. And a little bit about Lagunitas Detention Basin. Uh, constructed in 2001 at a cost of approximately $340,000. It has an operational storage capacity of 46 acre feet. Just for context, uh, an acre foot, uh, the measurement of volume is, if you can think about a, uh, an acre, it's one foot of water across that entire acre. So 46 acre feet is a lot of water. Um, one of the things that we uh, are looking at in this particular um, detention basin is, is this particular spot. This is uh, on the west end of that detention basin and the tree line that you see in the back, the foreground of the photo here, that's uh, Laguna Creek. Um, this is the, the creek um, that this detention basin is designed to capture water from. The, the gray area, um, turn the pointer on here. 
The gray area here is, if you're familiar with the site, this is the walking path or the maintenance road that goes around the detention basin. This area right here is actually the spillway. And what it's designed to do is when the creek rises to a particular level, it spills out over from Laganita Creek, uh, Laguna Creek into the detention basin. What we're looking at doing is potentially working the inlet so that we lower the inlet that will allow us to be able to activate the detention basin sooner, thereby taking more of that stormwater off of the creek because Laganita flows into Alamo Creek and that's what goes downstream to our, those historic flooding, flooded areas. Additionally, we're also looking at a potential new site for detention basin and this is just east of the existing detention basin. There's a six acre parcel that lies uh, again just east of the Loganitas detention basin. And again, if you take a look at the photo here, this is the Loganitas detention basin right here. And this is a, a, an interesting site um, right here. This is Laguna Creek. And right here you can see this is Alamo Creek. This is actually the, the convergence of these two creeks. This is a, a site that, that Balance, our hydrologist, is looking at in particular because it could be a, a critical area um, for a potential new detention basin. The next site we're gonna look at is Alamo Creek Detention Basin. Um, this is uh, located um, uh, by Southwood Park. And if you can see from, the, from this broad uh, zoomed out view, uh, the, the snaking green path here, that's uh, Alamo Creek. A bit more of a zoomed view. This is Southwood Park. This is the detention basin. And this is Alamo Creek detention basin number two. Uh, constructed in 2003 um, at a cost of $504,000 as an operational capacity of 15.7 acre feet. Uh, initially when we had uh, arrived at this site and began our inspection uh, of the particular site with uh, Balance, our hydrologist, we identified some uh, peculiarities with the this uh, detention basin and some areas that we were uh, could effectively create um, some additional storage um, and also um, create some immediate impact uh, moving forward into this current uh, winter season. Talk about the additional storage first. Think about this as a cross section of the detention basin. What we're looking at doing is diving down into that detention basin another three to four feet, which would add additional capacity to that detention basin, additional storage. Again, more water that flows off that creek that we prevent from going downstream and hitting those low-lying areas. Um, additionally, we're investigating this as a uh, potential groundwater recharge site. Uh, that, if that's possible, and actually um, I just signed the, the permit uh, this morning uh, to allow for the drilling of a borehole out at um, bore wells um, at this detention facility so that we can get an understanding of, of what the soil strata looks like. Um, if it is capable, in fact, of potentially having the, um, the percolation effect that we need to be able to meet um, the groundwater recharge uh, th thresholds that the state requires. If it does, um, that opens the door to a substantial number of additional grant funding opportunities. 
And then finally, uh, the big site, this is the Alamo Creek Detention Basin, the proposed site um, northwest uh, of Vacaville. Uh, see the uh, I-80 in the red running down the middle and the zoomed in version. This is uh, the site itself. Uh, the, the Public Works Department uh, started construction of this detention basin in 2012 um, and quickly discovered uh, culturally sensitive issues uh, that halted the project. Uh, shortly thereafter, uh, federal funding that we had tied up with this site uh, evaporated and the project uh, went on the shelf. It was essentially uh, determined to be unfeasible in the state it was in terms of the design. But what we are doing is we are keeping this uh, on the table. We are looking at uh, the basin size, the layout, and how we potentially uh, could utilize this site um, in different ways to be able to meet our, our overall objective, which is to mitigate the flooding downstream. I'm gonna shift gears here. So winter's coming, I mean, we're getting ready. I'm um, going back to the uh, flat gates that we talked about earlier. Um, after, after seeing that uh, the silt come out of that uh, drainage inlet um, back in January, uh, we immediately went back to the maps um, and talked to the hydrologist. We found three outfalls um, that didn't have flap gates on them. Uh, ordered those flap gates and in August maintenance um, went ahead and uh, performed the installation. So uh, those three uh, outfalls now have flap gates which will help mitigate that reverse flow up back the pipe and out into the street. So we're, we're preparing for winter and this is going to really help. The other thing that we did, and again, this is uh, Alamo Creek Detention Basin. This is a, one of the, the major improvements and quick improvements that we're able to make um, this past summer. This is, a, this is Alamo Creek Detention Basin. We're looking east. Um, this is a construction photo from 2003. Um, this is a pipe um, that comes in from the creek. The creek is, is over here on this side, and it flows in here, and this is a concrete weir box. Problem is that concrete weir box forces the water to uh, rise another four feet, um, thereby constricting, unfortunately, the flow into that detention basin. So what we did, um, again, working with our hydrologist and analyzing the, the conditions of, of the project site and the variables that we had related to that weir box, we removed the concrete weir box and maintenance began work uh, on installing a brand new 48-inch flap gate. So if we receive flows like we did last year, um, this detention basin will now go active. Uh, water will actually start to flow from the creek into this detention basin. Um, based on the initial analysis performed by Balance, um, this is not a silver bullet. It's not gonna solve all the flooding, but based on the flows that we received last year, there's a good chance that uh, this would end up mitigating that flow that otherwise, like we received this last winter, ended up in people's front yards. It would keep it in the street, retaining most of it here before it goes downstream. Again, this particular detention basin is only about a half a mile to a mile um, from uh, the lower areas of, of Beelard and Tulare. So this is gonna work this year and we're gonna be keeping an eye on it. In addition, we've uh, balanced is uh, adding uh, monitoring devices so that we can watch this during this winter. And again, furthering the data collection um, for this project. 
I want to give you an overview of, of how this, uh, our, our efforts and uh, the, the task before us um, looks like and be totally transparent with council. You know, I've mentioned it before, um, myself personally, as well as the department, we're completely dedicated to seeing this resolved. So where are we at? Phase one, moving left from right. Um, we started in March um, by hiring a, a new hydrologist. We have uh, compiled past studies. We've reviewed hydraulic models. We've uh, looked at the stream gauge data. We've formulated new design tools. Uh, we've identified uh, data gaps, um, and we've identified uh, both long-term and short-term changes to our detention base and our flood mitigation structures that we currently have, which we've already enacted, as I mentioned previously, this past summer, which will help in this coming winter. The next phase is phase two, and that's the, the piece outlined in red right there, the technical analysis piece. This is the, the meat and potatoes. Um, what we're looking at doing is installing additional monitoring stations, developing stage elevation relationship to calibrate the hydraulic model, um, stream flow measurements we're gonna be taking to validate against the water surface elevation, and refining the topographic data, it's called LIDAR, and to run against the hydraulic model. So, Brian, what does all that mean? It means that we're taking available data, fresh data. For example, on the LIDAR, um, LIDAR is light detection and ranging. For the first time, we're gonna be using um, fresh data from FEMA, 2018 fresh data from their LIDAR database. LIDAR allows us to be able to look through the tree canopy and actually see the width and the depth of Alamo Creek. So instead of taking measurements you know, across Alamo Creek that are problematic, we're actually gonna be able to see real-time measurements of that creek in all of its flow from point to point. This will allow us to be able to calibrate that model, which we will then run against the, the variable proposals that we have for uh, the constructible uh, detention basins that I've previously mentioned. That'll allow us to be able to finalize and move to the technical documents that balance end up producing and providing us that roadmap to be able to say, these are the detention basins or these are the flood mitigation strategies that you need to take. Um, we expect, there's two pieces to this, uh, because we think the Lagunitas detention basin that the inlet change is, uh, is minor enough and not as complex as some of the other pieces that if we are moving forward with this, if council agrees that you know phase two is the way to go, um, we anticipate to be able to get a technical document on that particular detention basin and its adjustment, its modification, by sometime in November of this year. That would allow us potentially to work with the regulators, the California Department of Fish and Wildlife in, in particular, and to move this forward into our CIP next year, so next summer. There is a chance, you know, knock on wood, that we potentially could get this into the CIP next summer for that particular project. Otherwise, the rest of the technical documents and the analysis that balance would uh, finalize would be completed by April of next year. That's the, the again, the, the meat and potatoes, the technical analysis of phase two. Phase three moves us into the funding and the planning. This is really the big piece. Uh, we have uh, the technical documents that then allow me and our department to go out and start hunting for that grant funding. <coughs> 
the, the grant funding agencies, they need to be able to see, okay, what's the project look like? You know, what are the variables of the project? That's what the technical analysis is gonna provide us. And additionally, um, when we hired Balance, we were looking for uh, Balance Hydraulics. Um, we were looking for a vendor, a hydrology firm that had experience in being able to identify and go after grants on behalf of their municipalities. Balance has that experience. They have been successful with other agencies and other municipalities in being able to get federal and state funding for flood mitigation. So the first thing we would do is put them on that road, go out and find me money. Then we would go through the process um, during that time period. So May, 2024 through May, 2025, uh, we would come back to council and we would say, look, these are the recommended uh, options for flood mitigation. Um, I'd be able to at that time hopefully give you a, a, an idea on uh, what that uh, those grant opportunities are and the ones that we're pursuing. We'd begin the design work. We'd uh, start the site environmental and the cultural and regulatory work. Um, and again, potentially, uh, depending on the complexity of, of the Loganitas detention basin inlet design, may be able to enter that into our CFP in this coming year. Finally, phase four is construction. Um, at that point, uh, again, depending on if we've been successful, and I'm, I'm going to say positive and uh, say that we're going to be successful at this, we're gonna find the funding. We would end up moving the construction in 2025, um, develop those construction documents, get the bid awards, um, and start constructing sometime in that year. Um, it's a fast track. Uh, but we have, I think we have the resources, we have the energy, we've got the people on board that again are the right individuals and, and vendors to be able to help us move this forward. So what's the ask? Phase one is done, um, that's completed. Phase two is that again, the, the, the heavy technical analysis and deliverables, deliverables that allow us to be able to move this project forward. So on behalf of the Department of Public Works, I am requesting, uh, recommending that City Council uh, take $300,000 of measure and money and put it towards phase two of this project to help this department move forward and potentially uh, help to mitigate uh, the flooding that is going on in the south of I-80 areas. In terms of environmental impact, this action has no sequent impact. Um, for fiscal impact, that's the $300,000 that I'm requesting of Measure M funds to fund phase two of this project. And the strategic goal and initiative is goal four to maintain effective and efficient services. Recommendation by simple motion, adopt the subject resolution. And I'd be happy to answer any questions that you may have. Thanks, thanks Brian. Uh, definitely, important, especially coming up to an El Nino. So I appreciate all the hard work. With that, uh, Councilmember Silva. Uh, thank you, great overview. Um, continue to be appreciative of uh, your service and responsiveness to um, to your role. So I'm, I'm happy you're Director of our Public Works. Um, also gotta make sure that um, your staff know, you know, when we had those heavy rains the past two years, anytime there was some type of uh, drainage backed up, you know, street flooding, they were on the spot to relieve it. Um, so rather than, you know, being sheltered at home, uh, they're out there in the rain, digging through whatever uh, is backwashed and everything. So um, deeply appreciate um, all the staff uh, for, for their efforts in those the past couple years. Um, 
question. Um, uh, so the my question is uh, based on these different um, ideal spots. Um, based on the what what is there any type of data that shows based on the amount of water that flooded that this is sufficient to accommodate that? Or um, in other words, is this how do we know we're not um, doing overkill, or how do we know that it's going to be sufficient? That's a great question. And first, uh, I will pass along uh, to maintenance. Uh, my second command in maintenance is in the audience, and he's in charge of, of the crews out there, and, and they do. They, they work hard. Um, so thank you for the, the kudos. We appreciate it. Um, your question is a, an excellent question. Um, that is exactly what we're doing in phase two is uh, through the development of that model of understanding exactly, you know, what the, the volumes and the velocities are along Alamo Creek, using that LIDAR data that allow us to really dig down and, and understand um, not in an assumption model, um, in real uh, terms of, of real data using LIDAR and understanding what the, that volume is in the creek, uh, in Alamo Creek, we'll be able to then apply that to the model, which will then allow us to be able to understand exactly how much we need to be able to prevent the flooding downstream. That'll help us inform um, the, the next decision as to which of the potential projects or combination of projects that we need to be able to get to the point of, you need to take off X amount of uh, flow from the creek and these are the projects that can do it, or this is the project that can do it. That's what those technical documents um, and what balance would be end up doing in this uh, technical phase, the analysis phase. Um, I appreciate the work that's already been done to uh, mitigate that for this upcoming expected rain season. And uh, so thank you. Vice Mayor Wiley. Uh, I also wanna say thanks to you and the whole department and you know, that has been a long-standing problem, and I'm glad that you are, you know, seeing what can we do to try to fix it at this point, since it has, rather than just say, well, it always floods. So I do feel like the flap gates in several places should be able to at least make a difference this coming year, because it's always kind of disappointing to say, oh, well, in 25 and 26, we'll get to some of these projects. but. Do you feel that that will make a significant difference with the amount of rain we had this year? It, absolutely, it will help. With the change that we've made uh, with Alamo Creek Detention Basin Number 2, removing that weir box, putting in that large 48-inch flap gate, that's going to work. Um, the elevations are there. Um, the we crawled down into the creek um, and actually were able to uh, to see the high flow area of the creek from this past winter season. And it, it definitely was in the pipe. So it came into the pipe and it went into the weir box and it didn't go over the weir box. And so by removing that weir box and putting that 48 inch flap gate on there, that water would, would have flowed into that detention basin. Um, and, and activated earlier, um, preventing that water from flowing downstream and, and impacting those low-lying areas. So I am, I am I'm keeping my fingers crossed. Again, it's, it's, not, a, uh, it's not a silver bullet. Um, El Nino is, is coming. Um, it has me nervous. And that's why you know, getting balance on board early in the year and starting them to work on this uh, project was important to us. Uh, we were able to cobble enough uh, operational dollars together to be able to put them through that phase one piece. 
Um, and that's why I'm here tonight to ask for the, the second piece, which is the, the larger sum that I couldn't afford in our budget um, to move us into that technical analysis. It is, uh, it is uh, um, concerning that it does take, uh, or eye-opening, you know, that it does take so long to put these CIP projects in place. Uh, but the, the regulatory concerns and the, the hurdles that need to be gone through to, uh, to work with the, the various um, uh, California Department of Fish and Wildlife, Army Corps of Engineers, um, they have their processes too, and it's, it's slow and methodical. Um, that said, uh, this is a, uh, I think we're on a pretty good track, um, certainly better than we have been in, in past years. Uh, you know me enough at this point, uh, I don't believe in impossible. Um, this is a solvable solution. You know, there, there is something here that we can do. And I really do believe uh, that it's, it's time to pick this up. Um, from the maintenance perspective and the number of years that, uh, of me being leading the maintenance crew, I'm tired of throwing sandbags. And I'm sure the residents are too. And so my intention is to bring relief to the citizens of Ackerville. We're gonna solve this. And so then the pipes where the flap jacks, flap gates are, <laughs> flap gates are, are the water's not gonna go in those pipes unless it's at flood stage, is that correct? Right, what, what it is is uh, very simply so the, I just wanna make sure fish aren't getting caught back there no, or something like no, that. Oh, well, no, when it's flooding. Okay. The water is moving so fast, the fish, if there are any fish, they're, they're heading to Rio Vista. Okay. They're, they're moving down that creek pretty quick. Okay, and then um, with the funding that you have, you can uh, purchase some of this LIDAR and the other monitoring systems, and then do you have enough staff to then evaluate using the monitoring systems and all that? So the monitoring systems that we're putting in, uh, approximately $16,000, minor amount of money that uh, we had in the budget. Again, they're actually out there doing this work right now um, in pre preparation for winter. Um, the the big thing here is uh, Balance has actually got the staff. They have the, the, the knowledge and know-how to be able to help us through this. Um, as soon as we have um, the technical documents um, completed, then we're, the, the shift in the burden of uh, moving this project forward comes back to the public works, it comes back to the engineering staff, because then we'll have to assign it to an engineer, we'll have to do a, some project management and begin opening up the project uh, to move it forward. Balance will still be helping us. And that's the hydrologist you're yes, talking about? Yes, that's the hydrologist. And they, do they have a set term, a contract with, so they, they'll help us with what we need? Right, this $300,000 ask helped cover their cost for that phase two piece. All right, thank you. Councilmember Roberts. Yeah, uh, thank you. I really appreciate the proactive approach you and your team are taking on this because my world data drives operations and I think it should be the same for pretty much everywhere. Um, so yeah, I'm really looking forward to seeing what the information again from the LIDAR and how that affects and see if you guys are moving down the right path on it. The only question I have on the, uh, regarding the the flap gates on there. Is there gonna be sensors on there to see if they get stuck open or closed? Because uh, I know uh, one area I was in in Houston, they had flap gates and it sucked like a giant tree branch in there that I got wedged between the flap gate and, and yeah, I got stuck open so the backflow still did happen. Right. Is there gonna be any type of grading to keep like large branches or something from flowing into those? It's a it's a balance. So the, the flap gates are designed to, to 
to move and pivot um, at the beginning, uh, you know, at the beginning of uh, storm season. So October, as it comes up, we start our preparation for for winter. Um, and one of the elements that uh, that the maintenance division goes through is they do a creek walk. So they walk the whole 26 miles of creek through City of Vacaville, and they exercise all of the flap gates. They look at all of the outfalls and make sure they're all clear. They look at uh, our head walls and, and various pipes and remove any uh, loose debris and whatnot that potentially could come snags on flap gates, for example. During high flow events, the, we're at the mercy of Mother Nature. Um, if we do see a flap gate, you know, once the water recedes that is not in, in place, we would address it at that point. Uh, but it's a life safety issue at that point uh, because it's uh, particularly um, scary to see an individual, you know, tied to a rope and uh, put down into the, into the creek in a high flow event. Um, these past winter, uh, as you can, as you recall, uh, it is quite something um, to to see the volume of water um, come down Alamo Creek or Ulas Creek, um, for that matter. It is a force of nature to be reckoned with and an uh, incredible sight. So those flap gates, though, are going to help. Um, that big 48-inch, they're all designed um, to be able to, to pivot and move and to prevent as, as much as they can from wedging. Um, there's actually in the technical documents some of the design work um, that is incorporated into the manufacturer is to uh, prevent or to allow the mechanism to be able to dislodge um, those kind of materials when they come in. Okay, thank you. Over Chapman. Wow. Don't even know where to begin. I am so happy to hear to have heard your report this evening. A lot of work has gone into this project. Um, you know, it was uh, high on my list of concerns, real concerns, representing and being the voice of the people that live in the area. We're yes. So with that, a couple of things. Uh, first of all, I'm happy to hear about the creek walk that's going to be taking place pretty soon by your staff, by your employees. Um, and um, I had shared with our city manager, and he said he forwarded on to you an email that I have received from a resident over the weekend regarding uh, this item. And so they will be happy to hear from you. Um, and thank you very much for, your, for the follow-up that you always do in behalf of the residents. Uh, the flap gates, uh, there's a cul-de-sac off of uh, Beeler. The, uh, they look after, and I'm gonna say they, the residents in that circle, cul-de-sac, they look after one another, and they were out last year, last season, um, gathering up the sandbags to help all the residents in there, and they're the ones that had one of those flap um, gates that was missing. And that was the cause of them receiving the water, the mud, and all because of that. And that was the first that I had ever heard of it. So after speaking with you, I've, I've learned a lot about, um, yes, flooding and, and the work that you have to do in order to. Um, You're a hydrologist in the making. <laughs> yeah, the hydrologist. You pay up. No, I was going to say, you pay him well. I don't mean that. Don't mean it. Yes. yes. Uh, thank you for bringing someone in. That was something I always ask. Isn't there someone else that's an expert in this area that we can call upon? Through the years, you're the, you're the first, and I'm sorry if I'm misspeaking, but 
to my knowledge, you're the first that have put forth this much effort to solve the problem we've been paying for over and out in the flooding zone area. Okay, one question I have, and you mentioned Southwood Park, possibly putting a detention basin there. Uh, that is a small, I mean, it's not a small residential area, but Southwood Park is very intimate, and in that area, is there really a room for a detention basin that will not affect, impact the residents in that area? So we're not, we're not, uh, let me go back here, uh, slides. Uh, this is uh, this is Southwood Park uh, right here, and this is the Alamo Creek Detention Basin Number Two. So we're not looking at. Uh, we were originally, uh, I think, when I uh, provided the presentation to the council um, at their strategic meeting in May, this was one of those uh, particular sites that we were potentially looking at um, the Southwood Park as a detention basin, because there are many cities. Uh, throughout California, particularly um, uh, cities that are in um, Arizona and New Mexico um, that take their particular parks and their uh, pedestrian walkways and they depress them um, so that they become, all these facilities end up becoming uh, a stormwater capture device essentially. But in further investigation, um, it, it's too small. It's not going to provide the benefit that we're really looking for. Uh, we would be better off in terms of that cost-benefit analysis to put our, our effort into uh, the um, upgrades and modifications to the existing detention basin to either lower the depth of it, provide more storage, or other modifications rather than building a detention basin at Southwood Park. Okay. And my last question, how high are we above um, sea level? Hmm. And, and only, at, you know, that came, let's say, about that much, about a foot, too. Uh, huh? I was going to say the, the uh, detention basin, let's see here. Uh, oh, yeah, here we go. Nope. The weir box here uh, is at 138 feet um, at the top of it. So, yeah, we're in that um, just over 100 feet, um, 97 to 100 foot level. Uh, okay. So when you decide to dig down somewhat, um, there um, a fear, I'm going to use the word, fear of possibly going too deep that we'll create another problem? Oh, absolutely, and that's why we're going through this analysis. Um, the, the, the bore well, the, the drilling well that we're putting in uh, over the next couple weeks, um, they're going to be putting balance. We'll be putting uh, monitoring devices down into that bore well to get an understanding of the, the soil strata um, in that particular area. Is it clay? Is it loose? You know, what, what's the percolation factor um, if we're intent on uh, looking at that particular detention basin as a potential uh, groundwater recharge site? All those factors are uh, particular to being able to understand um, can we go deeper, um, which is one of the things that we're trying to uh, accomplish here, increase the storage um, in this particular detention basin. So that's part of the work that, that Balance will be performing. Thank you.
up on four feet. It's 174, not 178. Councilmember Stockton. Thank you. Thank you for the presentation. Um, absolutely wonderful. Just a couple questions, great questions and comments from everyone. Um, how much are these flap gates? Jake, you might have to help me out here. Was it $20,000, $16,000, I think, for the, the total? For how many? Is each, I guess, let me rephrase my question. Is each one with installation over $1,000? Yes. Okay. Um, what methods, I know you, I think it's great that you walk it before winter. What methods are you using to keep track of any sort of vandalism that may occur throughout the year? So that, that uh, that's a great question. Um, that creek walk, um, which is uh, something we've been doing since 2006 after the, the big flood of 2005. Again, that's an annual walk. Um, we, we do it uh, religiously. Um, it's documented. We have forms that we use. We take photographs. Um, and the, the creek crew um, look at um, all of the particular elements. We do it in October, right before winter season. If you do it earlier, you gotta go back out because of that particular issue, vandalism or damage. Typically it's damage and uh, Council Member Roberts mentioned, you know, the, uh, the snags. I have seen, uh, I literally have seen trees that are 60 feet long and four foot in diameter, gunboats, uh, roaring down those areas um, through Alamo Creek. And they do, they hit the bridges, they hit, uh, they could potentially hit these flap gates and tear them off. And so we wanna do that creek walk as late in the season, but before rain as we can to be able to identify those issues and correct them before winter is upon us. Just to clarify, what material are they made out of the actual gate portion? Steel and aluminum. Aluminum, okay. Um, is that the is that because the weight has an issue with? They're exactly they're designed uh, they're designed to uh, require just enough uh, pressure back in the pipe to open up and be able to to spill out, and but they need to be uh, heavy enough that when water gets above them, that the hydraulic pressure pushes back against that flap gate and provides that seal against the pipe that prevents any water from moving back up the pipe. Um, so it's a balance. The, the, those devices are in particular are, are um, fairly well engineered. Um, flap gates have been used for hundreds of years, uh, but the ones that we're buying now, particularly the ones, the, the newest ones that we've, we've purchased uh, for Alamo Creek Detention Base Number 2 and those outfalls are the, the newest variety. And how heavy are these gates? I'm just curious. If, if it can be easily carried away. The, I have the excavator, the photo of the excavator in place here taking out the, the, uh, the weir box. Um, I don't, I do have it, but I didn't put it on here. We had to use an excavator to pick that thing up. And well, the, that of course, but as far as the actual- The flap, flap gate, we had to hook chains to it and use the excavator to pick it up and mount it against that You can't that strap pipe. this thing to your back. It's not gonna walk away from us, right? You'll need a truck. Okay, outstanding. That's, that's exactly. Lastly, I just wanted to add on to the, some of the comments that were made. I mean, year after year, uh, Public Works and the employees in Public Works are our first responders when it comes to natural disasters, fires, um, hand in hand with our police and fire department. Um, what, what you're really doing right now is, is legacy stuff. 
like you've taken an issue, all of your people that, that within your, your department have really come together to do something that is gonna have um, generations of impact for our community and the quality of life here. So I just really want to applaud you, your leadership, the, the buy-in that you've gotten from your people and to really accomplish something that's really meaningful and helpful for our community. So thank you very much. Thank you, council member, and I appreciate it. I feel uh, blessed that uh, the department is actually, I think all of us, including myself, we're standing on the shoulders of our, our predecessors who uh, had the foresight to put some of these facilities in. And so my job at this point is just to take, you know, take it to the next level um, and, uh, you know, improve that efficiency of those existing detention basins and perhaps put some new ones in the ground. Uh, I dream of uh, excavators and bulldozers when I go to bed at night, digging a great big hole. Um, so that's that's kind of where I'm at when I say I'm committed to this project. Thank you. Um, realizing where we're at, I'm gonna go ahead and open this up for public comment, but I know how special this has been to the council. So anyone wishing to comment from the public, come on down. Good evening. My name is Jean Price. Um, I wrote the letter. Um, my property is adjacent to the bridge which crosses on Alamo Drive by the 711 Davis Street. Um, this is, a, these, these people have been working themselves to death for years trying to do this. We're so excited when we thought the original detention basin was going to happen because it was 480 acre feet. It was going to save us. And when tribal challenges stopped it, everybody knew we still needed to do something. But having owned property on the Crete now for about 10 years, working with Fish and Game, the Army Corps engineers, all these agencies, it becomes almost insurmountable. For us, it was to do what we wanted to do to try to help. I own to the middle of the creek. I have families. I own multifamily property. Their lives are right there on the creek. On January 9th, I stood there in the rain and watched that creek go within about a foot of the bottom of the Alamo Bridge in just maybe 70 minutes. It just and when it goes under that bridge, there's a certain level it reaches where it's like putting your finger on a hose. That effect of the water just shooting out of there, it doesn't just shoot to the sides, it shoots up all over. It howls like an animal being killed. And it is scary as all get up. And I watched that bridge just shake and shake and shake. So I really hope that the Lagunitas can really happen because I think we really need to address upstream because we have very wide and very deep sections above the Alamo Creek Bridge and then it flows into the area by my property and down to the Alamo Detention Basin too in a very narrow and constricted area. And so there's nowhere for that water to go fast enough so it just rises and rises and rises. The fact that we've had flooding just in Talar, Beelard, and now again, Duxbury, Woodbury area this past year, it's just gonna keep traveling up the creek. We need to do something assertive to take care of this. I also wanna say something about the soldiers in public works. When you talk about like the lift gates, they're out there in the rain. They aren't in trucks, they are walking down the creek in the pouring rain, howling winds, watching those weirs to try to figure out what's going on. They watched the Mariposa bike bridge. They watched the Peabody bridge. 
these guys are just literally soldiers. They go out there and they just do an amazing job. And so I'm just here to say, I support this. We need to throw a lot of money on this because every dollar we spend now is gonna save us many, many times more dollars being reactionary. Thank you. Yeah, thank you for your comments. No one else, I'm gonna bring this back to the council. And I just wanted to, to say, Brian, I echo what we've heard here tonight. I think I've stood with you at times when we've seen that four-foot uh, around tree just slamming down some of those streams. I know what keeps you up at night. And uh, again, to a comment of a legacy, this is, this is doing it right. There's been foresight in the past, but instead of throwing the, the arms up in the air, leadership and, and like you said, people rolling up their sleeves and saying, what are we going to do? It's this, is, this is where Vacaville can feel most proud and to do it right, follow the data. It's prevention. It's a, this is a perfect use of Measure M dollars. And so I just want to say thank you for that. And uh, yeah, I spent much of my career looking at those, those gauges at night and just going, here it comes. But it was your team that's in there doing the work. So just thank, thank you to all that you have done over the years and to do this. Thank you, Mayor. We do appreciate it. And so with that, I would like to ask uh, Councilmember Chapman if she would like to make a motion. In the blind, without the, without the slide on the screen, I would like to make the move that we approve the $300,000 of Measure M funds for the purpose of this project. Motion, we have a second. All in favor? Aye. Aye. Thank you, appreciate that, and this is good for Vacaville. So with that, we go to item C, Mr. City Manager. Mayor, Vice Mayor, members of the council, this last item before you tonight is another public works project that uh, I'm uh, very proud to have them present to you tonight. It's an update on the school's uh, zone traffic safety survey evaluation and a proposed new program um, to use data to um, evaluate uh, situations in our community that uh, we have Brian McLean once again, as well as our traffic engineer, our, our director of public works, Gwen Owens, to make a presentation for you. Good evening, Mayor, Vice Mayor, and Council Members. Um, tonight we're here to talk about the update to the School Zone Traffic Safety Survey Evaluation and the Draft Public Works School Zone Safety Evaluation Program. Next slide. So basically, Safe Routes to School is a movement to create safe and convenient opportunities for children to walk and bike to and from school. The goal is to increase walking and biking to school. Most funding for Safe Routes to School is federal, which flows to the state and ultimately to local agencies. Funding is competitive. Not having a prioritized Safe Routes to School plan has led the city to be reactive when pursuing grant funding, which has affected the project's uh, competitiveness. For these reasons, coupled with Solano Transportation Authorities announcing that they are kicking off a countywide Safe Routes to School plan, staff has led a proactive uh, approach to start Vacaville's Safe Routes to School plan. Next slide. 
ok when embarking on these plans the first order of business is to identify the concerns and issues around schools that physical improvements can help solve to aid this process staffing gauged the public and initiated a survey the survey was conducted from october twelfth twenty twenty two to january thirty first twenty twenty three and was widely publicized once the plans are developed, they will ultimately be included in STA's countywide Safe Routes to School plan. Next slide. Okay. The survey con uh, collected the following inf information that's identified on the slide. 129 submissions from 19 different schools were received. Um, in the report, in attachment one, it, it identifies an example of a full submission and attachment two identifies all of the concerns that were provided to the city. Next slide. Once received, each submission has to be evaluated to fully understand the concerns and which, and this to do this, it requires data to be collected. Examples of typical data to be collected are speed, vehicular speeds and volumes. Typically we do sight distance when there's issues with that. And there's also pedestrian counts. Data has to be collected in good weather, otherwise the, data, the information is skewed. Additionally, to address school issues, data has to be collected when school is in session. Next slide. So last winter, as you know, Northern California had one of the rainiest winters with rain through April 2023. This significantly hindered the collection of data and required collection, data collection to go into this current school year. Data collection began earlier this month and is anticipated to be completed in November of this year. Next slide. All grant funding is competitive. To improve the competitiveness of the city's projects, staff will be prioritizing plans with a two-prong approach. The first approach, or the first prong, is safety. We will be evaluating a safety metric for what the roadways in front of the schools Specifically, we'll be looking at the three-year pedestrian and bicycle collisions, the 85th percentile speeds uh, compared to the posted speed limits, the average daily traffic in a 24-hour period, and the number of pedestrians crossing. Next slide. Um, the second prioritization is equity. Uh, this has become a factor in the recent past for projects competitiveness and addresses the city's goal of inclusion. When picking a metric, the metric has to be available for each schools and has to have a, a reputable source. The metrics that address both of these are if the school is in a community development block group area, the percentage of free lunches, percentage of minority enrollment, and in, uh, environmental justice index. Scoring will be uh, assigned on a continuum based upon the value of the criteria. For example, schools with a larger number of collisions, traffic volumes, free lunches, minority enrollment, et cetera, will, will receive a higher score than a school with a lower value. Prioritization will, in, will increase the plan's competitiveness when pursuing funding. Um, when I'm completed with this, we will be seeking your uh, feedback on the criteria that we are proposing. Slide. Okay, so this slide basically shows you uh, the work that's been done to date. Um, basically, the information about that we had the surveys, we have received 129 submittals, um, we're started collecting data, and we're evaluating them. So where we're at now is we are continuing collecting data until November this year. We will continue, we will be evaluating the data from December to April 2024. 
uh, we will present the plans to city council in May of 2024. And then the scored and prioritized projects will be added to STA's plan sometime between 2024 and 2025. I'm not, we're still working out uh, STA's schedule. So with that, um, the recommendation is to receive the presentation and provide feedback on the draft public work school zone traffic safety program. Thank you for the presentation. Uh, there's um, certainly the need for ensuring the safe routes to schools. And so one of the questions that I had is, is while there's, when this is uh, completed, will the, da uh, the data be able to have an overlay so that we can actually compare the different uh, metrics? Or how, do, how does this get reported? So basically, the end result is for each school, we'll have a plan of what improvements we are doing. Right. As part of that, there will be the prioritization for the different safety and also equity. We will have, um, we are collecting data, or we're going to these different sources to find the data, and we will put together a matrix on how they're scored, and that will be included as part of the plan. Councilmember Silver. Um, the part of the data collected, so good to see you. Um, the, so we've had a lot of discussions on, on different areas, um, and I've learned a lot from you, so I definitely appreciate those discussions. How much does, so I've, in those discussions, I've learned a lot that sometimes, you know, when we talk about, there's a difference between behavior and what, what realistically can be engineered to, um, to, to counter, I guess, those behaviors, um, if, if at all possible. So how much does that come into, based on your suggestion, how much that would, I, those, when there's behavioral issues versus engineering components, how much of the behaviors is that, of that is factored or diminished or how is that factored into this? Well, so let me give you an example. So we have locations of uncontrolled crosswalks. Um, there's a significant number of uncontrolled crosswalks that just have two lines across the street. So what we're looking at is that appropriate locations to make them high visibility crosswalks so that people know that it's an uncontrolled lo uh, location, uh, potentially putting in rectangular rapid flashing beacons that people can see that. So part of the behavior is they don't know that that maybe crosswalk is out there and to make it more visible. So what we are doing is the engineering portion of it. Um, on a side issue, not as part of this, we are actually working with uh, the police department as some, and we will ultimately approach the school district as to how we can potentially help some of the behavioral issues in different areas. Uh, sorry. Uh, the other question I had, I remember the, I think the last time that this came up, um, one or two members of the, of the community presented or uh, requested that we look into other areas that they've had trouble um, being able to drive their kids to school. Earlier you mentioned that the intention of uh, Safe Rouse School is to increase pedestrian and so walking and, and bicycling um, would, would if there are problems or solutions to help out with visibility or access to, to main thoroughfares for these other areas that are not you know, within walking or biking distance, would that still fall under this or is that something that we would still keep, uh, be cognizant of, but that would possibly, 
if that needs to be addressed, that would be a different funding source that would help address that if, it's, if that's what staff. So where we're at right now is this, we're just working on putting together plans. So issues such as site distance or if they're speeding or if there are other uh, structural uh, issues to the surrounding environment, that's what we're looking at. So we would be looking at some of those issues, not necessarily every issue. So for instance, every school you go to 15 minutes before and 15 minutes after drop off and pick up, there's congestion. And, and that's the nature of the way we have schools now. Kids used to walk to school because there was a local, it was a local school and you could walk to school. Then we had busing, busing went away sometimes in the mid 2000s. So you have a whole generation of parents that don't feel comfortable or their, or their children just live too far to walk to school. Um, STA does uh, have programs of trying to get children to actually walk to school of like walking school buses. So getting back to the congestion, we can't solve the fact that there's congestion. There's going to be congestion. And that is just something that unless we build our roads, you know, twice as large as they are now, we'll never be able to solve that. If we did build them twice as large as they are now, they'd be unsafe for crossing, there'd be speeding, there'd be other issues. So there are certain driving to school issues that we can help with and others that are just the nature of the beast when you deal with schools. And, and so, if there's um, so the the one example I remember and I can't remember the the cross street was the there's a mobile home park um, that stems off of Leisure Town so across from the Green Tree development um, so I think one one uh, one or two members from the community uh, at that meeting they mentioned um, it's difficult for them to see uh, to the left south of southbound uh, when they're trying to turn northbound uh, to to take their kids to school that was the example that was uh, provided. Um, so in that sense, I, I guess my question is, I, I guess my concern is that um, hopefully we don't discard it, that we, we keep that feedback um, somewhere to where um, in the event, we, if it's something that needs to be addressed, we can address. So if we did receive, because we did receive some comments that aren't necessarily related to schools, um, for something like that, that's a, that's a typical traffic investigation. So however we get that type of information, we would evaluate it. Uh, there were other submissions that weren't specifically related to school. And so we just basically said, while a physical improvement might not come out of that, we need to evaluate that to determine if there's an issue. If there is an issue, then how do we help solve that issue? So we, do, we are addressing those. Thank you. Councilmember Roberts. Yeah, thank you for the update and the presentation. Um, getting into like, feedback for the, like, the collection criteria, a um, couple ideas I had is uh, working with the schools and count the average number of bikes that are being ridden to school because they have to lock them up. So it's pretty easy to sit there and count how many bikes are being ridden. And also maybe working with the school district and the parents or the teachers and just getting a general survey of how many kids actually walk to school because counting like crossing the pedestrians crossing the streets almost impossible to get a realistic count because you're talking about kids they just cross wherever it's not necessarily at a crosswalk itself um i did have one comment on collecting like not necessarily like in adverse weather like the rain 
but collecting in the rain would be ideal because there's more vehicles driven because less kids are probably walking that time. I know in high school, the one time I almost got hit by a car was during the rain because visibility is less and there's more people on the road uh, because they don't want to walk. So I know it's harder to collect that information, but um, yeah, there, there will be more vehicles dropping their kids off when it's pouring outside than when it's not. So we actually, um, for a part of what the collections that we do is we have a, a video camera that we're able to attach to poles and we do collect. Um, we've had, we need a crosswalk here or we need something there. And so we do evaluate those locations of where, where children are crossing. And what we're trying to do is where, where they are crossing is to trying to sort of herd them to where the crosswalk is so that everybody crosses at that location as opposed to sort of a pell-mell. Um, with, with collecting in the rain, typically speeds are lower. Volumes aren't not, are not as much of an issue. It's really more the speeds at the school that become, in it's 85th percentile versus what the posted speed limit is. And we're actually collecting for uh, you know the entire day on a nice day as opposed to just during the school peak because the speeds during the school peaks are low. Okay, and uh, kind of from my own knowledge, is there an existing map that outlays um, the, the bike lanes that are leading to the schools? I know the Vacville has very, very few bike lanes in the city mm -hmm. altogether, but we I don't know that's one they the points of doing this is to figure out where we need to put bike lanes. And so in, the, in our general plan, we actually have a map that identifies existing and pr proposed bike lanes, bike routes, and uh, bike paths. Mm -hmm. We don't necessarily, we have an older map, map that has that information. I don't know when that actually has been updated. What we could do is we could include in our the maps that we're creating uh, or some sort of map to identify in the vicinity of the school where those bike lanes are or paths are? Yeah, I've seen the older one, uh, but more of a current one because just because on paper doesn't mean they exist anymore with all the slurry seals and wear and tear because I know quite a because I do a lot of cycling. So I know where there, you can see where there used to be a bike lane, but there's no longer one there anymore because of just wear and tear or it got slurry sealed over and doesn't exist there any longer. Um, so yeah, it'd be nice to get a double check and see which ones are still in existence. And I think that's all I have for you guys right now. Thank you. Councilmember Chapman. Thank you. Thank you for your report. Um, when, when I think of uh, students walking and bicycling, I think more of the middle school and high school <clears throat> students. Yet um, the focus, I'm going to say, when I look at uh, part two equity criteria um, and what those criteria, what, and what's noted here, and then I think about the uh, pre-K to sixth grade students. That's where I'm looking at the greater safety issues. With our middle school and high school students riding the bicycles, they need to learn and obey the uh, bicycle laws, and you know they need to be learn to be obedient. You know, parents need to get behind them. Yet, parents are the ones that are walking the students to the 
elementary schools. And that's where I see a lot of, that's where I have concerns about the traffic, uh, the lack of signals. Um, has there been any thought to some of these current um, devices that actually slow the traffic down, whether it's the beeping as they're walking across? I don't know. I don't know what's out there, but I know there are things that I said, oh, that's nice, but it's not something that I would register here, but I know they exist. So can we begin to think about for our elementary schools where there are real concerns, and I'm gonna say real concerns because I think three of the schools are in my district, District 4, um, Payton, Vermont, they're, oh, they're going through some, yes, Sierra Vista. Um, anyway, uh, they, they really meet the criteria that's listed here. However, if you think about it, there are no signals. There's nothing out there to deter uh, people in their vehicles to slow it down. And this congestion, the, the congestion is there, it's real. What can we do now? I'm, I'm asking primarily for the pre-K to sixth grade schools to assist the parents getting their uh, children to school. You so, have, now, oh, if I ahead. use Payton for an example, and I have pictures, I went out there early one morning just to take a video, you know, take pictures. And they're coming in all directions, you know, one lane, but they're making two lanes. You can't turn because someone is, it is, I'm surprised, and Lord, I don't want to put this out in the universe, but it's a wonder we haven't had more um, traffic. Solutions, yeah, that kind of thing, thank you. Stop with that one. Stop with that one, thank you, you're not lying. Uh, yes, so anyway, with that, um, can we think along those lines to really focus on where I feel the greatest need, even though there's the need at all levels, but I'm looking at the primary grades. So even with the primary grades, when you drive your child to school, you can't necessarily park right at school to right. let your kids off. So you park down the street, you walk up the street, you're crossing at the uncontrolled crosswalk or sometimes cr uh, controlled crosswalk. And we actually had, like for Sierra Vista, there are some trails back there that they provided. Um, one of the comments was, hey, can we get at this crossing some sort of enhanced crossing because people are using it. So what we do is we go out, put the camera out, look to see if it meets our guidelines to install a uncontrolled crosswalk because you need a critical mass because if you only have one person going every once in a blue moon, you never expect people to put, you know, you don't expect somebody to be out there and you don't want to put devices that warns the driver that there's going to be a pedestrian there and there's never a pedestrian there. So that's why we collect data because we have to evaluate it to determine whether or not it meets the guidelines of industry standards. So there, so while the K through sixth grade wouldn't necessarily be walking or biking from their house, they are walking with their parents, hopefully their parents, from where their parents drop them off. Um, now, when you talked about a signal, are you talking about traffic signals? 
No. Okay. Uh, the enhancement. As part, just to add on a little bit more, as part of this project in terms of going through the surveys and doing that, that analysis, Gwen and her traffic engineering team, uh, they will be looking at each of these school sites, you know, for those particular safety measures. And so those, uh, in an overall perspective, um, again, looking at all of the schools, including the, the pre-K, um, all those safety measures that you're talking about, those potential, you know, con traffic control devices to help calm those, uh, the traffic flow, those will be looked at. Again, this is uh, part and parcel of what Gwen's team is doing in going through those surveys and then going through the projects and developing projects that, that go to exactly your point. How do we mitigate the, uh, the safety issues um, that are potential, you know, within each of these school areas? Um. Go ahead and I'll put my light back on. <laughs> Vice Mayor Wiley. Uh, thank you very much for the information. And this survey this year uh, is not the first survey, correct? I mean, we had a survey in years past, or is this the very first one? I've been here for seven years, and we haven't had one in the seven years that I've been here. So typically the way the Safe Routes to School plan works is STA, Solano Transportation Authority, is our transportation planning agency. And so in 2013, they developed a plan, which was pre-me, with all of the agency's inputs. Um, as part of that, I'm sure they did some sort of survey. The reason why actually we started this whole process is when STA starts their process, we're always behind the eight ball and we're trying to figure out what we're gonna do and STA will only has money to look at maybe one or two of each of the agency's schools. And so as to be more encompassing, we started to look at every school and work, then work with STA to have our plans included in their uh, countywide plan because honestly, to get grant funding, you need to be in an adopted plan. So I'm sure there was some sort of survey that was done in the past. I know when, when STA did the active transportation plan several years ago, there was a survey done with that. So um, for Safe Routes to School, I can't say 100%, but I'm I'm sure that STA would have included that as part of their process. All right, so this survey that we saw was originated from the city of Vacaville with assistance from STA, or just with the city of Vacaville? It's city of Vacaville. Okay. With All our right. PIO. Good, good. Well, so uh, you know, since I've been teaching, I knew that state rats always got information, but I didn't realize this was the first one. So 129 surveys is a substantial amount of surveys then for the first time that we, get. It, I, if I recall, the window was open pretty wide for pretty long. October 12th, 2022 through January 31st, 23. And I think there was quite a bit of um, information to parents and pe people who lived in the communities to fill it out, because, good, good, good. Okay, um, so then second, on your slide, it just went fast. So did you say you were tracking the number of pedestrians crossing or the pedestrian crossings? the number of pedestrians that actually cross the street. Okay, because like around Cambridge, people have asked me for more pedestrian crossings, so I didn't know if you were looking how many crossings there were, because there has been a real uh, appeal to me to try to get more, particularly where the school buses stop from like the Golden West and Vanden, and the school bus lets out a, a bunch of people, so they try to say, 
Well, at least we need a crossing right there because there's a whole bunch of people crossing and there's not a time. So, so you counted the people of pedestrians crossing and they're never crossing at a crossing, whether there's one there or not, because before and after school, there's parents just crossing willy-nilly, dragging their kids right in front of other cars. So it's pretty crazy. So for that particular school, we received multiple locations of, to install a crosswalk. And so we are evaluating the multiple locations. We would only put in one because of the proximity. And so what I don't know, and when we collect data, the, the cameras are up for like at least 24 hours, maybe more. It's watched at a, um, uh, a rapid speed of, you know, maybe um, eight, eight times. So it takes, you know, maybe a few hours to watch the entire eight hours that we have a student, uh, 24 hours that we have a student intern do. So what we're looking at is we can put in one crossing because of the proximity. I'm trying to find the best location where most of the students and residents are actually going to make it the most effective. And that's why we're collecting data because I can't be out there for 24 hours to watch right. where the best place it is to install a crosswalk. And so then you also talked about, you mostly were sort of centering this on during school time, because that's what you were looking at during school time. We collect for, for at least 24 hours and we get the sample for 24 hours. So there's other locations that, while they're not adjacent to the school, they're on the path of travel to the school. And so, and so we count the 24 hours, but while it's on the path of travel to school, the highest hours of people using it because it's a path might be off peak or weekend. So depending upon the information that we've gotten from the submitter, uh, and we had to actually clarify, we have their phone number and their email address, uh, we had to clarify when's the highest peak do we need to collect on the weekend or during the week because this is a potentially a trail crossing that more people would be using on the weekend. So we did follow-ups with the, uh, the submitters on those types of clarifications. All right, all right. Because last year, I think there was a pretty significant accident early in the morning, but pretty close to school. That was an adult, but still it was probably because of the increased traffic, so. All right, and then, um, and I think just, at Cambridge in particular, and the schools, because they're more enrollment than there used to be, and because we have more support staff than there used to be, there's more staff parking, and so there's inadequate parking for the schools themselves to just park their staff. So then when they're on the streets, then that doesn't leave space for parents. And then the neighborhoods, they're on their street, plus they're, so it is a real issue for parking. Um, so I really appreciate your efforts in trying to see what can be done to help this. And I do think it's a great idea to have this information because I am on STA some, and so it's, I've seen, oh, well, you got this grant for this or this grant for that. So now it helps to be able to have the information so when we're ready, we can say, here, let's do this. So thank you. Just one more thing. Um, when we finish uh, our work on this, when Gwen and her team finish up uh, the survey work, we already have programmed out in the project plan to reach out to have our PIO, reach out to their PIO, to the school district PIO, so that we 
we take a look at those variables, those particularly the, the behavioral type of, of driving uh, habits that we'd like to see modified, and we plan on working with the school districts uh, to help uh, provide some guidance and look for some additional support from the school districts as well in terms of trying to uh, resolve some of those, uh, those bad driving behaviors and other things that uh, Gwen and her team are seeing on their, their cameras and observations. Councilmember Ritchie. Thank you so much. I, I'll try to make this really short and simple. Um, I, I fully support the Safe Routes of Schools. I think it's great. I, think, I appreciate your presentation. Um, uh, Councilwoman um, Chapman took the words of my mouth. It's really that K to six. Um, I just want a quick win. I mean, I'm a full support going forward and, and making sure that, I mean, three years is a long time. The data takes a long time to collect, but how can we get a quick win to increase safety for like that K to six? I mean, I really don't care about the schools, my district or not, the whole city, like little rascals at that age, they don't pay attention. Like I was one of them. I got hit by a car when I was four, um, for fourth grade. Like, they still don't pay attention. Um, how can we get a quick win, um, three-year survey, that's a big picture, but what can we do to, I mean, I don't care, like new paintings, um, rockways, like those little reflective lights, like what can we do as a city to quickly just, aha, hey guys, slow down, there's kids here, just, just, and allow the study to be organic for the next three years, but what can we do just to increase the safety immediately that won't affect the, the, the um, outcome of the survey, it won't skew it, but we can increase safety so it gives kids a better chance because they're not going to pay attention. I'm, I'm, I mean, it's 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 reality. Like, what can we do to help? Like now, like like new signs, new stripping, higher reflective. Like, what can we do to get the next 30 days to get some new stuff on the street to make these kids safer? That won't skew the data, but it keeps kids safe. And I support everything. I, I want to make a motion, but like, is there anything we can do that can just get that quick win to make sure, hey, I want to see kids safe. Yeah. So I'll respond to this. I'm sure Brian will follow up on my response. So my thought is we're, <coughs> we're in the process of de developing draft plans. Um, definitely by May when we have the plans, we would be able to have something that we could do like immediately. There's 19 schools and I'm not sure how many of them are K through six. There's a lot of information. There's a lot of work that needs to be done. So definitely by May, we could we could have a list of things that we could do within 30 days or some items to help with that. But in 30 days from now, I'm not sure that I would have the capacity to be able to do that. So I'll, I'll punt it to Brian. Thank you, Gwen. Uh, I think uh, Gwen has nailed it. Um, really, we're on the we're on target right now. We're working. Uh, Gwen's team is working hard to to do these surveys to get them done, um, and so balancing at the same time as we're trying to do the the survey work and go through and call make the phone calls and do the data analysis and collect the you know the the visual data via the cameras and sending uh, our our traffic uh, uh, interns and other staff out to to do counts and and whatnot. There's a lot going on just with this uh, survey piece, trying to get to the point where we can come back to council and say, these are the, these are the potential projects, this is the project list. Um, 
at this point it, it is as Gwen said it's a capacity issue at the same time that we're doing we're juggling the, the survey and trying to go through that process the daily grind goes on and we're still you know answering to the public and going out and doing the you know particular speed surveys or you know um, you know concern analysis so I I hear you um, what I would say councilmember Ritchie is uh, if there's a particular concern um, send it over to uh, Public Works, and we'll go out and take a look at it um, immediately. Otherwise, I would say let the let the process continue to work through it, so staff can focus on getting this done as soon as possible. Uh, honestly, Gwen and I spent a long time talking about the timeline. Um, May was you, she can contest. I was May, um, but um, there's a lot to this, and for us to get it right um, to be able to present to you and provide those potential uh, resolutions to some of these areas. Um, they've got to have the time to be able to spend on the survey and get it cranked out. Um, like one thing is that could we spend, I mean, my district dollars to advertise, try to maybe get more crosswalking guards. If they're volunteers, spend money to advertise, to get them trained quickly, Put some vests on them, signs. There's a lot of I mean, there's a lot of veterans in the city that would love to have nothing else to do except for stopping some people that are speeding. I mean, so, I want to be creative. So I think what we want to do though is, is there's the urgent, direct the urgent for safety. But this is a process that, as I understand, being on STA, is to get in a pipeline of, of projects that can be funded. Yeah, and, and I don't understand. So yeah, I'm just yeah. I'm just saying I understand where you're going with that, Mr. City Manager. Yeah. Um, thank you. The, the only thing that I'd like to add to this, too, is, is that we, we also have some potential partners in this conversation with representatives from the school district. I know that I've been working with um, the Vacaville Unified School District and the superintendent there in our 3x3. Three three. This has definitely been a topic of discussion in preparation for our upcoming uh, agenda. This was certainly a, a topic for discussion, and I know that we have a similar meeting, a 2x2 two two meeting this week with the Travis Unified School District. and. Um, they're also very interested in the results of these surveys and the studies. They also have some ideas about some potential quick wins where they might be able to help contribute. Um, so I, I concur with the group that, you know, there is uh, some immediate need, but at the same time, I think that going through this process will allow us to identify that. Everybody gets on the same page. We identify some opportunities for some quick wins, but at the same time, I think the real purpose of this program is to uh, memorialize, prioritize the big fixes. Um, because up to this point in, in you know, my time here, it's been a very, very reactive process. It's been an emotional process. And what this is doing is you know, taking all that out of it, putting it in data, and letting that um, help the council prioritize where we should put the big dollar investments that need to go to um, significant improvements to, to improve the so um, I, I appreciate the council's support and interest in this, and I think that uh, this will be a very helpful tool um, that we can use going forward. But um, I know that the school districts are also very interested in this as well. Thank you. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. I just wanted to. I mean, I, I just that was it. But if no one else, I want to make a motion to. Oh, we're not there oh. yet. No, there's lights, and I haven't opened up the public yet. So. Councilmember Stockton. Thank you for the presentation. Um, just a couple. Is that the scoring criteria? 
staff. Okay, and are we competing, I guess, how much, how much funding are we competing for? So basically right now what we're doing is we are prioritizing the school so when grant funding becomes available, we look at the highest, highest prioritized schools based upon safety and equity of who would compete well because when we actually apply for grants, they look at collisions, they look at, they look at data. It's a data-driven approach. So they look at you know collisions, speeds, uh, those types of things. They also look at, because equity is big, they, they look at uh, underserved or disadvantaged communities, and so you get points for those. So the, the purpose of prioritizing our projects is to, when grant funding comes up, because sometimes it comes up pretty quick, and when you only have like two weeks to try and figure out a project and you're scrambling to put together an application, it's very difficult to put together a good application. Right now, we'll have, when we're done, we'll have plans that are prioritized that when we, we get notifications of these funding opportunities, we'll have go to the plan and go, oh, okay, this project would work well for that particular funding opportunity. So it's basically just to prioritize our, ourselves against all the different schools. Okay, so basically you've looked at past grants and the qualifications that it takes to be able to apply for and qualify for them, and you're incorporating those into your stats? Correct. Okay, so the, the grants that we're competing for, um, are, we, are they issued by the STA or are these grants issued by, by the state or? So it depends. So the last grant that we applied for was OBAG and that was MTC through STA. So basically what happened is STA basically gave us the application, said here, fill this out. Then once we filled it out for STA, they made suggestions to the application. We had to bring it to the appropriate, I think it was the Active Transportation Committee, and one of the categories was safe routes to school. They, they would then uh, prioritize and rank it, and then the top tier ones would go to MTC and would compete against other Bay Area projects. Now there's those types of grants like that. Um, there's other, grants that come up uh, every now and then that come directly from the federal government. It, the, the flavor of, of grant funding where it comes from changes and how it looks and what the um, other information you have to pro provide changes over a period of time so it's never a static situation that you're dealing with. Okay, so you said that we were likely to, we're competing for one to two um, agency schools, like each city is gonna get one or two of these grants. Does that depend? So that is, so that's STA's Safe Routes to School plan. So if we didn't do this, what they would do is their consultant would look at one or two of our schools, develop a plan for that, and then sort of develop a generic of how you deal with the rest of the schools. So we'd only have a plan for one or two schools in STA's countywide plan because they can't afford to do all 19 of our schools and all the other schools in Solano County. So with working with STA, I've basically explained to them, we want to do a plan for all 19 of our schools. We want those plans included in your plan. So when we actually go after grant funding, we can say it's an approved plan and that 
By STA. What's that? By STA. Approved by STA. Correct. And that from there, we're in this approved plan that that's one of the criteria for most grant funding. Okay, but but, the, but it's going to come back to council. We're going to take the information that you get, and we're going to determine which one or two sites we want to focus on. Is that correct? Well, so basically, really, what will probably happen with um, we will be looking at all 19. Okay, so we'll have a plan for all 19. So since STA doesn't have to look at our schools, we'll probably have the consultant do a little bit of a QA, QC on the 19 that we've done because there's no point in them doing a plan for our school because they've we've already completed the plans. Okay. So we're going to be using the consultants in a different way than the other agencies. Just a little bit more on that. When the when Gwen and her team get finished with the plan, with the surveys, and produce those plans, we'll be coming back to council um, likely in May with those plans for council to uh, provide input and evaluation of your priorities, whether or not you decide um, in one particular way this plan or this plan, or if there's a, a funding opportunity um, that we may be have between then and now or now and then, um, to be able to present to council uh, related to being able to go after any particular um, grants uh, that could fund some of those plans. But the bottom line is when the, the survey is done, when the plans are completed, um, Gwen and her team are coming back to council so that council can see what the, the outcome of that work is and what plans for each of the, the different schools are, are on the table. Okay. Councilmember Chapman, you remember you. your question? Yes, I do. I have a few. Um, yes, sir. I hear you. Um, all right. Um, as it is, we're looking at seven months from now before you will be coming back to us. With, um, I okay. Staffing. Is your department fully staffed? It's well, that's an interesting question. We have all of our positions filled. Okay. You have all your positions filled, but that does not mean that you're at capacity that because the workload you could uh, possibly. There is workload that okay. we are not necessarily doing because of the number of staff we have. We only have so many people. You only have so many people. Okay. And that's just a budgeting thing. And I know that uh, the scheduling for public works is very heavy right now. And at the same time, I'm sitting here and saying, I'm going to say this is our priority about the safety of our children. Can we really wait until 2025 when uh, STA uh, decide to divvy up those funds? So with that, and I know our city manager has said that, you know, we have others we're in partnership with. However, I'm still going to say this, uh, the safety concern has been a concern, not just today or yesterday. It's been ongoing. And I don't, I'm not comfortable waiting for two years before we get funding. So why can't, and I'm going to put it out there, why can't Measure M funds that were passed for I'm thinking issues such as this be used to assist in 
providing safety for our children. I'm, 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 I'm saying well, that. Well, before I have staff um, respond to that, what I want to just inject here, because I think the issue is, is every question begets three or four more questions. I haven't even got to my questions yet. Right. Um, and I don't want to be here all night. I think the key is this. Spent my career addressing safety issues. I think the issue here is also is as I sit on STA, there is a Safe Routes to Schools program and it's widely adopted. And this is the, an approach to do assessments. I think the key is, is if we, if, if engineering or behavior, looking at the police chief, identifies something that is egregious and is actionable, it doesn't require waiting for anything. I think to your point, uh, there's no price you can put on safety, especially when we're talking about children. But following a process to have, well, this is not a shovel-ready type project, but it is, it's a plan that can be funded when opportunities come up so that it puts things in queue by priority. So that's really what this is. Um, does that help? Because I don't think that this has to, has to do with anything that, if there was something egregious tonight that said, we've got to act, kind of like I see some of the conversations when I'm sitting at the STA board and some of the locations in Fairfield, they're desperately saying, we've got to act right now because someone's going to get killed. I'm not aware that there's anything right now of that other than the complaints, but those complaints, if I understand, bring them to your attention so that you can address those uniquely while we're going through a methodical process that's looking at data. Is that fair? Correct. Okay. Because I'm, I'm with you. If there's money that needs to be spent, I'm not opposed to that being an issue. Yeah, go ahead. Okay, if I can yeah. finalize by saying, I don't want us to have to wait until STA oh. receive their funding in two years to address our immediate, immediate safety issues for our children. And I have been specific in saying pre-K to six, even though the high, middle school and high school, they have concerns too, but I'm very concerned about some specific school areas in my district and other districts. It's not just my, this is citywide. Okay, let me put it like this. It's citywide, folks. It's citywide, all of our schools. And I think once you, you analyze the uh, survey data, there, there are certain ones that's gonna rise to the top. And you're gonna say, we need to move on this now. And if we, STA funds are not here yet, then I'm asking that we look at another source. And you have already spoken about grants. I'm finished. No, that's fine. And, and so, I know that there's continuing more comments, but I'm gonna throw a few things in here just so that we can get to some metrics. Um, you're spot on, and the issue is, is the part of the assessment should also look at what's the balance between it being an engineering problem or a behavior problem. That's one thing. The other thing that I think would be important, separate than trying to analyze it from just the data portion, is, is to include your staff and uh, traffic safety from the police department to say, is it is it something that's an actual problem because of enhanced lighting or things that could be there? Or are there um, two things? One, behavioral changes that should be engaged with the school districts and potential from, from where those uh, 
those schools are potentially facing challenges that we're seeing is to create opportunities to say, how can the city and the school district for a particular school say, can we come up with a safety plan? And I'll simply give you an example. I lived across from Browns Valley School for 20 years and it was the bane of my existence because parents run their kids behind bumper to bumper in between traffic and they'll stack up for, you know, felt like a quarter mile down the road and people say, I don't care. That's a behavioral problem. And so it's hard to put in a crosswalk when all of a sudden you make a change and then everyone's on board, but we haven't consulted with the right people say, well, what impact, just like the water flow, what impact is this gonna cause to a school? I think that has to be methodical, but I do totally agree with you on, on those issues, but we have to be careful anything we enact the data will provide, but then it needs to be interpreted both from the engineering and the behavioral side. So just those things. And then um, again, we can always prioritize plans, but we don't need to wait for funding if there is, I, my estimation, if there is a real concern there. Uh, there's public surveys. Are we surveying the schools? In other words, Yes, we, we actually had the PIO did extensive outreach. Um, she contacted the school's PIO and they put stuff out through their parent portal so that they could go out to those different schools. And actually, we sent an email to all of the um, contacts for the assistant and um, the principals and the assistant principals of the schools. I received the contacts from STA basically to make them aware that when the survey opened up. And not to put the school districts on the spot, but a lot of the risk is, you know, obviously we've got drivers, they're taking their kids to school. And then the behavior around the school is, is how much of the risk is because of the interaction of the movement of the kids versus the engineering of a crosswalk. And to weight some of that is to be able to comment. Some, some of this other than data is going to be somewhat subjective is there needs to be some room for input and commentary because it's like, how much is this, get it for like an, like an MTC grant. But we know that sometimes it's like, well, if there is a little bit tweak here, a little bit of adjustment there, the crossing guard from the school, if you did this, we know this when schools start opening uh, at the beginning of the school year, you have to retrain parents who have very bad behavior. The other question is, is to, when you meet with the school districts, potentially to be able to inquire, is there data? Every school knows where their kids are from, coming from. It would be really nice to know the impact of nobody's walking. They're only walking to the point where they're being dropped off for the most part. And it would be nice to know how much of the impact is just because we don't have busing. Where other you know, potential grants it, the busing is they're dropping off and it's controlled, but this is becoming an uncontrolled issue because of behaviors in, in the busing. So those are just my, my thoughts to that. And um, I'll come back to you, Sarah. Councilmember Roberts, and then Councilmember Silver. Councilmember Roberts. Yes, one uh, quick thing I wanted to add to what I said earlier. Um, so when you're looking at it, I hope that like, maybe look at some things that are more project-driven for projects that'll affect more than one school. For example, go to North Orchard, there's two schools off the same road. So if you can make one project that benefits both schools at the same time, 
possibly weight those a little bit more because it'll have a much larger impact than before. And same thing for other ones about throughout the city, maybe not just look at schools, look at like, for example, if you're, I mean, Fairfield, but if you're looking like Vanden, because school's getting out at the same time, people are getting off base, getting off work at base. So other things that'll affect traffic besides just the schools that may not be in the immediate area that where there may only be slight overlap, but there is a significant increase for where the kids are traveling outside of the school area that you're looking at. Um, yeah, like shopping centers, there's the McDonald's and Dutch, so with the Dutch brothers over there off, uh, was it Nut Tree? Um, yeah, people swinging in and get their coffee while kids are trying to get to an elementary school just a few blocks away. Uh, that may impact, but might be outside the area that you're doing uh, traffic studies for. So maybe look at heavy traffic areas that are in the walking path or cycling path of those students. But then we need the information like the mayor brought up, but where are those kids coming from? So. Thank you. Councilmember Silver. Um, just briefly, uh, I'm curious to see if it's um, if it's reasonable to accommodate in the scoring system, looking at ADA accessibility. Uh, so folks, parents or guardians who are in wheelchairs, mobile wheelchairs, and how they're able to access the actual sidewalk safely to that destination. Um, and maybe it's, maybe it's a cold compliance issue, or on the other hand, maybe it's just how some of the older neighborhoods are, the, the driveways in themselves are sloped to where um, when, they're, when they're going down with the wheelchair, it's something that tips them. Um, so that was all, that was just, that's it. So basically for any kind of crosswalk, if you put in a crosswalk or upgrade a crosswalk, sidewalks, that would have to be a bigger picture because of what you said with the slopes, because what you have is when you do the slopes so that they're ADA compliant, the conformance with the driveway goes significantly far back into the people's property, and then that kind of gets expensive. Path of travel, however, around the school zones um, is being evaluated as part of this uh, this survey. So. Um, I want a couple things. I, we're not throwing out any information um, from any of the surveys uh, if they don't have an engineering solution. We're looking at, to the mayor's point, the behavioral piece is part of it. And part of this program and our, our the evolution of, of the program as we move forward is to finalize the surveys, get the data, the behavioral type of information, you know, pieces that, that can't be solved by engineering is then moved to the second tier, which is to work with the school districts, work with their PIOs, work with the principals, and work with the police department to help try to educate and move those behavioral pieces forward in a, uh, a logical manner. And then there's the engineering piece, which is, you know, we're, we're looking at all of the, you know, rapid flashing beacons. We're looking at the high contrast uh, crosswalks. We're going to be looking at all of those pieces. And that's, that's why I'll, I'll go back to what I'd said earlier. This is no small task. Um, Gwen and her team, they're all in it. They're all working on it. Um, and I'm at this point as, the, as the, the, the head seat of the department, I am trying to shield the team from some of the other things that are going on so the team can finish this high priority work for, uh, for the community. Um, to Council Member Chapman's uh, concerns, we have concerns as well in terms of we want to make sure that there's you know, uh, safety across all of the, all the school areas 
safety across all of our traffic roadway networks. When we complete, when the team completes the survey work and, and produces those projects, we will be bringing those projects back to council in hopefully in, in April, May of next year. At that point, council, sorry, council will at that point be able to uh, evaluate what what have we determined? You know, what are these projects? And it's council's directive at that point, it's your prerogative to be able to uh, look at the costs and say, maybe some of these are measure in. That's, those are determinations that, uh, that council can make at that point. Um, regardless, um, we will still be working with STA so that we are, are positioning ourselves on the grant piece uh, that we have this document. The way I look at this is these are, uh, off-the-shelf ready projects that can go to shovel ready. So being able to uh, be ready for those federal, state, and other pro um, funding sources that when they come down, it, it typically is a fairly quick turnaround. And Mayor, you'll, you'll recognize this as it's, uh, it's behooven on staff to, to try to jump to these things as quickly as possible. It is a difficult thing, however, to, to be able to turn those things around when you're still working on the day-to-day -day grind. This will allow us to be able to put those projects on the shelf and be ready so that when those grants, those opportunities come, we just pull it off the shelf and we go. Yeah, thank you. I'm going to open it up to the public for any comment on this item. Mayor, thank you. Um, last night I was at a prayer group, and um, it's not because I'm a good guy, it's because I need a lot of that. And uh, I was able to convince the younger people to let me play a song that's not your normal praise song. I suggest you all listen to it. It's called Get Together by the Youngbloods, then of course, if you'd like a song of lamentation, I'll refer you to Dion's song, Abraham, Martin, and John. Now, it wasn't too long ago that we had several children killed and others injured on Davis Street at the Christian Academy, and then not too long after that, I had a couple of kids hit over Vacapina. We flew out one and the other one, and I was at the top of my game already an instructor, advanced care to doctors and nurses. Save the kid, the child. I, I can tell you right now that uh, the blood of every kid is the same. Their bones are the same. The flesh is the same. You can't tell me what color their skins are. Their skin is when they're tore up. Now, I think politicians here have made the sacrifice, going back to the Song of Lamentation, Abraham, Martin, and John, their sacrifice for naught. Because I hear these, these words here. And then if I'd like to know, I'll make sure I understood the criteria, Mr. Mayor. And look, I love you all. I just disagree with you on some things. Thinking of the Christian Academy and Vacapina, if school A has a terrible safety issue, acknowledge, say that's a really bad safety issue, and then school B is pretty doggone safe, but it has some problems. But they have a higher number of free lunches and a higher demographic of skin color, 
because that's what politicians see on the outside because they haven't seen inside the kids. I started in 1973. I worked in that field for over 40 years. Nonsense. So back to my question. This D, D, whatever it is, Dr. King, I think, I think we lost that battle. Dr. King talked about equality. He didn't talk about equity. He said, we're all, we're all God's people. He didn't care what color you were. He didn't care what your political party was. He loved John Kennedy. Dr. King was a Republican. So what? But I hear this criteria here, and, and we're going to decide by the color of their skin how many free lunches, who gets the safety protection. Thank you for... My mind is blown, people. You politicians better get your act together because you're, you're tearing apart the country and the children. Thank you. At the end of the meeting of the Menard Battery, and he spoke about the Brown Act and how you could only have so many people, many people could be there from the city council, and our mayor was not there. I'm wondering this November 10th meeting that's coming up, it's also about children too, and what represents us. How many of you are going to be there since you all can't be there? Is anyone gonna answer me? How are you, are you just gonna? This is your time, so. Yeah, are you just gonna like, who, who's more interested in protecting children? Is it like, how are you gonna choose? You all can't be there. And you're doing it in a different location. Why is that? Enough people can't fit in here? Why did you have that other meeting in a different location? You all can't be there. Think about what you're doing. You all unanimously voted January 10th of this year for them to explore. I think exploration is done now. And it's up to you all to figure out what you're gonna do about the safety of our children. Thank you. With that, I'm gonna bring it back to the council. And, uh, and, I, and I do believe that um, timing of this, and I, and I appreciate your comments as far as you know, how we're evaluating this has occurred, and I know he's not here to hear it. That, that's, a, that's a perspective, but I don't, I don't believe that the criteria is, has been stated. Safety will always be the number one criteria. I've worked those events with that man. I know what he's talking about. Nobody wants that. I, don't, I, I believe that there is always going to be a need to look at the criteria based upon the way grant funding comes in. That is sometimes not always understood. That is certainly the way that funding has been in the last few years. And so I appreciate staff recognizing what it takes to have a project ready based upon criteria. But make no mistake, I know my perspective is, and that's why I said it. If there is a safety issue, it's an engineering and a behavior discussion, and it doesn't take seven months to understand what those are, and it doesn't take seven months for an email or a phone call to come in. It happens all the time, correct? 
Absolutely, and, and uh, to speak to that point, um, Safety is top of our, our top of our mind all the time. If uh, if there was a, a situation, a, a scenario, an issue that had come up um, that it was uh, concerning enough after our investigation that required immediate action, um, that doesn't you know the the survey and what we're doing in terms of compiling the data. That doesn't, the survey doesn't stop us from, from taking action. Um, I wanna make sure that that's clear. This is just a, a, a logical procedural process to be able to, um, to take you know, the various uh, inclusive, you know, pulling in all the schools, pulling in the, 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 the community, the principals, the vice principals, all the players to be able to understand what, what is your concern in those areas go through the process, the data-driven process of being able to evaluate you know, each of those concerns and put them on a sheet. If there's something that comes out of that, that analysis or any time between now and tomorrow morning, uh, traffic engineering and public works, we're not sitting on our laurels. We're, we're gonna go out there and like we do every day that we're out here, um, we're gonna evaluate that issue. And if it's a concern, we're gonna take action. We're we are not going to leave a problem on the street in lieu of, of waiting for the survey to be done. They're, those are two different things. We're, we're, on, we're on two different tracks. The survey is going on and every day we're working for the safety of the public. Thank you for sharing that. Councilmember Stockton. Yes, thank you. Um, and thank you for the comment because there, there are misconceptions about when all of us can be together and when, when we can't. And so I wanted to address that. Um, so we have to agendize a, a meeting, an actual council meeting that we hold for all of us to be here. When we go to a community meeting, like something similar to what happened at the community college about a specific issue where you're having an opportunity to pro provide input on something that we aren't voting on yet, we're not all allowed to be there at the same time. So if, for instance, there was a project that resulted from a discussion that happened at a community meeting, it would be brought here where all of us could be here before we could make a decision to again hear from the public. So um, the reason I believe she made a, she made a comment about um, having a discussion about some of the issues that we're gonna have offsite because we anticipate a large enough crowd that we may not be able to facilitate that here, but we can still agendize that meeting as a council meeting to where all seven of us can be there for that. So I think that's really important because I don't want you to think that we're not listening, but we're even limited on what we can say at those meetings. And so just like now, I can have this conversation where before I couldn't have that conversation because of the rules that are regulating that, um, regulating that meeting and what's appropriate to discuss at that level of, of something being potentially proposed that hasn't been proposed. Um, I'm kind of sad that the gentleman left because the gentleman did bring up some good points and I think that we often uh, feel frustration up here, but there is a process. Uh, the mayor has been very, very good about giving us an opportunity to ask questions, give it to the public, and then come back and make some comments. And um, I wish the, um, that he was here to, to hear this portion because I, I, I do think he brings up some valid points. And I, I had written something down earlier, um, but I, didn't, I felt like it was more appropriate to ask now or to bring up now. And that is, you know, I am curious why CDBG, HUD, free lunches, minority enrollment, and environmental justice are factored into the scoring. 
Um, you briefly mentioned that that's what some of the factors are that allow you to qualify for some of the grant funding. But as a first responder, I can tell you that the safety of all of our kids is the number one thing. Um, so can you elaborate on why, why staff chose that as a factor for this? Yeah, so if we have two schools that have, from a safety perspective, are the same, and we're deciding between the two schools of which go forward with the grant funding, it's the equity component that would give us a little bit more of a push because the way grant funding is working now. So basically, what they call a disadvantaged community, we don't have any of those in Vacaville. So how we identify, and so we've made the case of, we don't have a disadvantaged community, but we have communities that have needs. So CDBG is, it's easily identified. It's, it's a reputable source. The other thing that's nice about CDBG is if we need a match, CDBG, if we can go to, ha if we go to housing, there is the possibility that they provide uh, a match for us, and they have done that for us in the past. Uh, the, other, the other three are sources that we've used in the past when we've gone after grant funding. They're reputable, and I can obtain them from each of the, for each of the schools. So I have to have, so if I could only get it for certain areas and not other areas, or if it was something put out by U.S. News and Review, it doesn't have the same repu reputation as the sources that we have for the other criteria. I'm going to jump in here real quick. Uh, it's a great question. Um, and to the gentleman's point, uh, yes, we're all flesh, same flesh and blood. Um, that's why in this process, there's two parts. The first part, part one, is the, the purely traffic engineering piece. That's the very quali quantitative um, process of uh, the, the traffic engineering science. Um, and that's balanced with part two, which is the equity piece. The, if, we don't have, if we don't have the equity piece in there, we're not gonna compete well for those grants. So staff's objective here is to, uh, to design a program. We developed a program that would, working with STA and putting these two elements together, which would maximize our ability to be competitive for these grants. We wanna see these improvements done as well once we get them you know, finally in the plan documents. Um, but for us to be able to be competitive with these, uh, these grants, this is the this is the the game that the the, the ground game that uh, the state of California and the federal government have laid out in terms of of the these funding paradigms. Uh, if we're to be successful, we have to have this piece in there. This piece utilizes uh, on the the equity piece. Um, uh, Gwen and I worked on this um, extensively and to develop uh, those particular sources to ensure that they're they're essentially federal government or state government. They're the the information is all widely available. It's uh, there there are not any third parties here in terms of providing that information. Um, but these elements, in addition to part one, which is the traffic engineering piece, will allow us to be able to compete at the maximum level to, to achieve those awards. But I just want to be really clear. City Council doesn't set the standards for qualifying for these grants, correct? Oh, correct. It's, okay. it's each City staff doesn't create the, the, the qualifications for, for being able to get the, 
you know competitive be competitive for these grants it's above that correct it basically for each grant what we do is the first thing we do before we go after a grant is look at what the criteria is correct how do i meet that grant do i have a project that can meet that grant the criteria that's above our level though these grants are coming from the federal and state level correct so they're compiled with pages and usually pages and pages of of grant requirements so is any of that are any of the funding that we are seeking to obtain at the STA level with those with that criteria because that is within our control at least the mayor so the money that comes through STA comes through at MTC okay. which potentially funnels from the federal government and so those are the people that basically they're given money and it's it's funneled to the MTC, then funneled to STA. So there are the requirements for the federal funding for that grant. So it's not as if STA has clean money right. that doesn't have any strings attached Correct. to it. They are just responding to whatever strings that are attached to. And they're not adding an equity no. component. No, no. STA is a I just conduit. want to be clear because it, it, it gets people upset, right? People on both sides get upset. But certainly, I think that the gentleman here, I mean, is on to, to at least acknowledging that all of us love our kids, regardless of whether we fall in or out of these different groups. And so I just think that the, it, it's, it's important to understand what's within our control and what's, what's not in our control and how can we do the best good and get the highest quality of life and safety for our, our school zone traffic safety evaluation program for our kids. And so. I just wanted to acknowledge the, the, the lady that spoke and the gentleman um, that, that raised his um, comments as well and bring some context as to why, because we don't write these grants. Councilmember Chairman. Thank you. I just want to add to the dialogue just took place, uh, speaking about the criteria. Any, uh, old, you know, we have many nonprofit organizations that we support. And any time they apply for grant funding, this is primarily the, the uh, criteria that is requ required. Uh, when I made mention, and I know I spoke heavily, Mayor, I made a comment about the criteria in a few of my comments earlier when I was questioning. It wasn't that I was trying to place those children ahead of everyone, but just based upon the criteria that they had shared, Anytime you have, you're writing a grant, they're asking you about your demographics. Mm -hmm. Why do you qualify for these funds? And oftentimes, the criteria they presented or they shared is the exact language that is used in those grants for you to get those funds. Now, if we have uh, the scenario that was used about um, we have children that are um, low income, uh, free lunch, and all of that, the criteria they spoke of. And then you have the other school that does not, but they still have the sa safety issues. Mm -hmm. It just means that those grants they went after mm -hmm. that allowed those funds to come in, we would be able to use those funds to take care of the needs at Correct. that particular school. And then any other funds we have, we can go right away to the other, to the to school A. So. Um, I understand and I hope the community will get an understanding of what we have to work with and where those guidelines are coming from. Right. They're not established by us. Correct. Yeah. And I am in no way questioning. 
I, I think you and I are on the same page. We both understood. Thank you. So. Yeah, thank you. I know this has created a lot of um, input. Hopefully you've written it down. And uh, I do believe there is some clarity as to how and why there's attachments to all these dollars. And just for the for um, all of us here, I represent to, on STA. STA is countywide organization that um, approves these projects. Large projects, small projects, we could be talking about Jepson Parkway, right? And I see firsthand having projects in the ready gives us money like um, you're not going to get if you're scrambling, and I see other cities scrambling. And so this provides that opportunity and that, and that mechanism. But I, too, I do uh, appreciate the fact that while we can include the analysis to help us be competitive, it in no way, in my view, interferes with our ability to make decisions on safety. And, and I trust staff to believe that both all the work that you've been doing over the years and Brian and your team and in our police department, I know very well how much that that is the focus. There are times when horrific things have happened in this community that become those, those moments that will cause us to look back 20, 30 years in a career, because I've done it too, um, and they're tragic. But then there, there are those general safety issues that we look at both engineering and behavior. And so I appreciate the process forward to the results of this. And only ask I would say is, is you already said it, but if there's things that all of a sudden you go, there's something we need to do now, that this comes back to the council. If it does, we don't have to wait for some grant. It's just that we use those grants when they're afforded to us for our benefit. So thank you. I believe that's all you need for that and appreciate the presentation and all the comments on the council. I know how we all feel about our kids. With that, Mr. City Manager. Mayor, um, just a couple of quick um, community service items, actually, community announcements. Um, this past uh, weekend, I believe, or a couple weekends ago, uh, we held our fifth um, Make a Difference Day. Um, located in uh, this particular event was held in District 3. Um, and we had a, a great attendance and very good success um, and I just want, first of all, I want to say thank you to the council for your continued support for this program. It does much more than just clean up a neighborhood. It builds a lot of community pride. Um, and it, we get a lot of good feedback from those who volunteer. And again, thank you to those um, on staff who attended and gave freely of your time, as well as to all the uh, volunteers from, from the council. Um, we do have a quick three-minute video, if it's okay to share that with you. Um, and then we have some uh, details of uh, what we came away with from that event. So with that, Sheila, can you go ahead and play that? I already saw you on the screen. I already saw you on the screen. We're taking care of lawns, painting, fences. Anything that these citizens need, anything that, we, uh, anything that we can help out with. The reason I'm here is because I want to make a big impact in my community. 
it's important to me to give kids the opportunity that maybe their parents couldn't have or that other kids can't, couldn't have before them. se debe de mirar limpio, organizado y creo que esto está ayudando mucho a que el vecindario se mira mejor y vecindario mejor, familias mejores. great to see all the city staff and to meet them. That's one of the pluses to be here and say, you know, who are you and where do you work? And, and then I also, um, I retired three years ago. And so now this is the thing I have to do. I have time and energy and want to meet the people and work with the neighbors. Whoa, <laughs> there's a boom. So that is a quick uh, tour of, of our success that day. As you can see here, it was one of our biggest uh, successful cleanups um, to date um, with the number of volunteers and the amount of uh, materials that we brought into the community. Um, the number of tons of trash removed was the greatest number that we've had thus far. Um, and so very big success. And again, I want to thank uh, those in the community that participated and for the council's continued support of this program. It's something that I, I truly believe in and I know it's, it's, it's very unique and special, so thank you. Um, next item that I wanted to um, bring up to the council is in the spirit of you know, making a difference, um, we have been uh, promoting the use of neighborhood associations and the value that they bring to your community. Um, we had some representation for, you know, at that particular event as well. But uh, this particular Thursday night, September 28th, there's another uh, National Good Neighbor Day. And the program is, it starts with hello. And it's just really, again, about neighbors getting to know neighbors. And uh, Mayor, as you know in your prior role, and in my experience in talking with the 11 police chiefs that I've worked with, one of the best forms of crime deterrent is neighbors knowing neighbors. 
just another you know um, opportunity for that to occur and we would encourage uh, anybody that's interested in that to check out the uh, city's webpage on the neighborhood associations for more details on this particular event and finally um, here to just promote uh, the Vacaville Christmas Wish uh, program uh, Vacaville Christmas Wish began over 40 years ago through the efforts of the Children's Network and social workers at the Solano County's Children's Shelter the goal of this particular program is to see that Vacaville's low-income children are granted a special wish at Christmas time. So if anybody out there knows of anyone that would uh, benefit from this program, we would encourage you to um, reach out and connect with that particular website and uh, make a difference in someone's and some child's uh, um, Christmas. So with that, I appreciate uh, Council's support and uh, uh, everything that our team does to make a difference in our community. So thank you. Thank you. That's a good update. That's some pretty, pretty great things happening here in Vacaville. So, quite the experience. With that, I'm going to go on to report to the City Council. Number Silva. Right, thank you. Um, so, just kind of, you know, I got to get some stuff off about equity. Um, equity is about gaps. Neighborhood cleanups. That's about focusing on issues where people have been left out in the discussions and how we invest funding. The reason why state and federal governments put those stipulations on how funding's allocated is to ensure that the funding gets to people who need it. Um, those residents uh, throughout Lower Cowlin, uh, I've got to know them through the years. I was raised, um, you know, my daycare was there on, on uh, Valley Drive. Um, there's a lot of folks that still live around there, folks that still call out, cause a lot of havoc in our community, um, but, um, you know, they, they were so appreciative uh, of people coming out, uh, so appreciative that someone would think about them. Um, the past several years, particularly for one particular house there, they've called over and over and over for years, uh, and they've lost hope, um, they've lost trust, uh, and that's echoed through many different facets of our, uh, of our community of where many people, people just generally distrust anything to do with government. And uh, what, People who came through there, whether you realize or not, those who came through, um, the impact that you made on those individuals' lives restored hope, restored the belief that someone's there that can help contribute to them. Because for decades, that has not been the case. The fact that we have districts uh, is reflective of a lack of representation um, from elective capacity to help drive and have a quote unquote seat at the table. Um, so, the, these efforts, even the, the last couple mentions, that's there to focus on families in need. Them matter uh, what ethnicity, uh, what race they are. Uh, what matters is that somebody's trying to better their life and how we as individuals, we as humans come together to help folks out. So the neighborhood cleanups uh, is something that's been rotated throughout our, our city uh, based on different parameters. Um, every, I haven't been able to attend a lot of them since I started my doctorate, Saturday mornings are taken up with, with class. Um, but every time I've attended, I've, I've left inspired. Um, and not just me, but the people who live there have been inspired and, and truly tremendously grateful, more than what's even reflected in there, whether it be English or Spanish. Um, today marks the 29th anniversary of my father's death. Uh, he died when I was 12 years old. Um, he came to this country uh, to work for something better. I'm grateful for the sacrifices he made. Um, there's not a day I don't think about uh, living without him. Um, my mom, who is white, uh, she worked in fields as well. 
Um, she, again, worked hard to make sure that she had a better life. Uh, she passed away almost a month ago now um, from a very slow, prolonged death from Alzheimer's. Um, and uh, to see that deterioration from anybody losing everything and forgetting everybody they knew um, is, is been a, is been a, is, has been a struggle that I've, I've kept in for several years now. Um, but one of the things that I'm grateful for in this community is that we're not gonna get things perfect, right? Um, there are injustices, there are gaps, there are tragedies. Um, you know, and, and some people have seen that firsthand. People have literally, as we heard, have had their hands in there. Uh, part, of it, part of it all, sometimes there may not be things that we can actually do. There might be things that we don't have the answer. Um, but I think what's important is that we continue to look at how we implement policies, how we support individuals so that people can live that better quality of life. And I think our staff have, and uh, we talked about legacy. Um, Roy's council member Stockton brought up legacy projects. Like to me, I envy each and every one of you because you're in positions to actually truly make a difference. The struggle is um, to the other points about you know political perspectives and what what's going on in in this in in life. But I think if the more we just come together and work and get to know each other um, and see each other as the human beings that we are a lot of that stuff starts to go away. And then we start seeing, okay, how do we work together to address whatever issues it is with whatever age group, uh, whatever scenario um, within, with, you know, within a, a given respect. Um, I was grateful to be, uh, to emcee a, a local event to celebrate our uh, workforce throughout Solano County. Um, super grateful for the, um, the Workforce Development Board um, out there that, that really helped put that together. They recognize folks from all different backgrounds. Um, don't have time to, you know, to recognize, but uh, that was, it was really amazing. What I appreciate about there is they didn't, didn't recognize traditional uh, well-known institutions or companies. Um, they also recognized individuals and the struggles that those individuals overcame, whether it be learning another language or overcoming uh, mental health issues or disability issues or whatever it was. They recognize folks who are, who are doing those little, making those little differences to make an impact, not just in their lives, but hopefully their families and in some way their community. Um, so I'm really grateful for that opportunity to, to be there. Um, upcoming November 2nd uh, is Dia de los Muertos. Um, really excited to see the city um, staff put on a celebration for that. Um, I do, I, I did have some calls and I just wanna clarify that Halloween is not Dia de los Muertos. Uh, the Day of the Dead is something that originated in a small part of Mexico, um, and in there, it's something that's continued to expand out. Um, please don't look at uh, please don't look at it as something that's an exclusionary uh, type of event. Um, many people who go there to honor and remember the life and celebrate the life of their past loved ones uh, can be something that's pretty. Uh, uh, it, it's something that I think uh, we would all value just to take a moment. Um, maybe a couple hours out of our life just to stop and reflect and connect with other people on that sense of humanity and um, and that one day that we're all going to you know en encounter ourselves. Um, but um, I was really really excited about um, that, and there was a lot of great feedback last year when we rolled that out. We being the uh, city Parks and Rec, uh, so I'm looking forward to that again, and hopefully folks can come out uh, November second. Thank you. Thank you for those words. Councilmember Stockton. Yes, thank you. Um, I won't uh, go on about how great the COV is. I do think 
in a way that is kind of a way for all of us to participate in some of that legacy building too, and it is very rewarding. So um, I saw the city manager sweat and work hard and really put in that elbow grease. It was great to be out there. Um, the first thing I wanted to ask is if we could add this school safety plan discussion and continue that with the three by three with the school board. I don't think I need a motion for that to be added to agenda, right? Outstanding, thank you very much. Um, the next thing I wanted to talk about was September 23rd, uh, Solano Family First Responders um, is a nonprofit organization that um, raises money to provide mental health um, counseling specialized for first responders that live or work in Solano County, and that includes retirees as well. They had their annual fundraiser, uh, over 400 people attended. Um, and raised somewhere between thirty and forty thousand dollars. They haven't gotten the uh, total um, yet, but I, w I just wanted to say thank you to the community for coming out and supporting our first responders and recognizing um, that, like many of us, and we we heard some today about how um, that that job does come with a toll, and you do remember those calls and you remember the people that you interact with in in some of the worst times that they've ever experienced, and so. Um, you know, mental health seems to kind of be an ongoing and continuing theme that we're experiencing um, at the dais with what's brought to us uh, by our community during business from the floor. And uh, I'm glad there are organizations and people that are interested in trying to provide services to people who need access to them. Um, the next thing I wanted to do is I know we had a gentleman that spoke during business from the floor today about trying to get some help, but he's also spoken in the past about um, wanting help from our police department. I did follow up with Chief Ian, uh, Captain Poland, and Captain uh, Kellis over here, and they have been in frequent contact with that gentleman over, not only over the last you know, two meetings, but for the last six years in trying to provide assistance for him to get help, um, that, the help that he needs. And so I just want the public to know that our first responders are listening. They're trying to help people when they can to the best of their abilities. And so I just wanted to make sure that everyone knew that it didn't fall on deaf ears, his concerns or his needs. Um, on a lighter note, um, I wanted to, uh, you know, we had the opportunity at the last meeting to recognize the achievement of, of the Little League kids and that, that was super exciting. But I wanted to recognize, we just had Daughter, daughter Day, uh, you know, on Facebook, there's like a day for everything now, you know. So um, a good friend of mine that I grew up with, um, his daughter, Reese Rogers, was recently um, crowned the homecoming queen at the Vacaville High School homecoming football game. She's an incredible young lady. Um, her, her grandmother was a hall monitor at Vacaville High School for many years and just beloved through, throughout the town and, and um, passed away not too long ago. So the entire um, community was very excited for Reese. And she certainly had an incredible moment with her friends and her family and everybody congratulating her. But what I really wanted to acknowledge today was that she, um, in, the, in the midst of, of the hugs and congratulations that she was receiving from her family and from her community, um, there was a, a young handicapped girl that was in complete awe of seeing this, this young lady crowned the homecoming queen and it caught her eye and she stopped what she was doing. She shared her moment and walked over to this young girl and took her crown off, put it on her head and told her that she was a queen as well. And I just think it's, it's, it's important when you see our youth demonstrate 
that kind of grace and leadership and humbleness and love and kindness, that that's acknowledged just like we would acknowledge any sort of academic or athletic accomplishment. Um, I think our, uh, myself and, and our community that's aware of, of what happened is extremely proud of her. And I just wanted to make sure that she recognized that um, her city should be proud of her as well. And I, and I think anybody who learns about it will be. So I wanted to recognize Reese and congratulate her and her family. Vice Mayor Wiley. Thank you. Just a few other things sort of around town. I will say I participated in the cleanup day and it was really nice because everyone worked together and like two of the homeowners specifically said, we appreciate this so much. Thank you so much. So the people were very appreciative of that. And then last Saturday we had a cleanup at Cambridge School for coastal cleanup and we had some um, help from city of Vacaville as well with the coastal cleanup. And it was just great to see the elementary students clean up Magnolia Park and Cannon Station Park and around their own school. So cleanups all around. Speaking of school, I don't know if you all have seen the announcement that next Wednesday, October 4th is walk up, rock and roll to school day. And so I was invited through STA. So if you would contact Joanna at STA, she let me, she said, here's a list of schools from Vacaville. You can go and participate and we'll let them know. So she didn't include Cambridge and Foxborough because they're Travis schools. So that's the one that I chose. So I would just say if you're interested in participating, it's like at 7.30 or 7.45 or 8, depending on the school, then they're having a a specific day and the kids are excited about it and they're going to have a lot of people walking to school on October 4th on Wednesday. So if you don't find that information, contact me. Um, and then I will also just uh, make mention that many of us went to the Cal City's uh, conference this week and it was very good and well as we had uh, assistant manager uh, George and Mager Smith with us too. So it's a great activity. And Vacaville is a great place to be when you hear some of the stories from some of the other cities. And I also want to say that during the CDBG report, they talked about Vaca Fish and because it's in a building that's supported through that. And I happened to be at Vaca Fish about a month ago. And we also had the comments about homeless. And it was kind of interesting that the people at Vaca Fish told me they were really being impacted because it is, you know, totally nonprofit and their their mission, they were set up to help families kind of on the edge and providing food for families, but they were just saying that they're struggling to do that because they've had a lot of homeless people also come through to have food and while they feel for people that don't have food, that's not back officious place, so what could we do? So, and then hearing people come other times to say, what can we do to help? I do feel like we need to have a way to bring the people all together that want to help, to help with the, our, our homeless population. And I'm glad we have crew up and going again because that's great and I think they also help provide support that they need. Um, and then I'll just finish up with a comment. I hope to see quite a few people on Thursday with the visit Vacaville at Journey and unveiling of the Vacaville cows that we'll be seeing around town. When I bought my ticket last night, it said there were 200 remaining. So if you want to go see the cows on Thursday night and appreciate art, 
that would be a fun thing to do. Um, and we had some public art unveiled just this week at the Ulatta Center, and the artist was there, and she talked about how she did her art, and she's uh, from Vacaville. So it's great to have the art in Vacaville as well. So that's it for me. Yeah, thank you. Um, Oktoberfest was another fantastic downtown event, if you didn't have the chance to go down there. But it is neat to see that um, just a variety of, of activities cause people to want to get out. And um, it's not for everyone, but that's it's part of moving forward and trying new things. And so it was, it was great to see a lot of people out there. The other thing that I thought was really important, um, you've already heard the comments, the COV, uh, the cleanup, I was really impressed um, and my takeaway was also, it's, it's interesting how when you get out into the community and, oh, all right, it's going to be really early in the morning and all the things, but, you know, I appreciate, you know, your lived experience, it was personal, and I know I enjoyed, several of us did, being there with you, but to just participate in what community looks like. But just as important was to see staff out there rolling up their sleeves, um, Having fun doing it and blessing people, and you leave that day feeling um, charged that you're actually making a difference. And, and those are those, I know we're all busy. It's hard to hit you know, everything that's on our calendars. It really does get busy. But there's something about certain events and to experience it with staff and the community. Um, I wish more people could actually have that feeling. It's hard work, a lot, I mean, there was a lot of work. There was a couple places like I cannot believe this, but to be able to recognize this is this is help, and then it really opened up. I know my eyes to say how can we more than just a cleanup to actually work with some of these families, um, you know, even our our FRC and other resources to say we we need to help people who are aging in place and are, who don't have the support. And so I can even see along the way, you know, referrals that come out of things like this to say, let's go knock on their door and to continue that. And there's only limited resources, I get it. But so, but with that also, I, I appreciate, um, you know, Vice Mayor Wiley, your comments. I look forward to the discussion in October on, on the update on the homelessness. And uh, obviously, it's going to be winter, and so these are the things that we're all looking to do, and we heard it even tonight's comments. And so that will be part of that conversation. It will give us all an opportunity to get an update, looking forward to it, to get some of the details, but also, if need be, to take some. Uh, so with that, I'm, next we, have, uh, we do have closed session. There's two items. There will be nothing to report out tonight, but I do want to make sure that I open it up to the public. Seeing none, I'm going to I'm going to close that. And with that, we're going to adjourn this meeting. Good night, Vacaville.